This is continuing coverage of the 2021 Convention of the American Council of the Blind. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the ACB 2021 Conference and Convention, Better Together Wherever We Are. Today is Wednesday, the 21st of July, day six of our convention, and wow, what an exciting auction we had last night. I hope everybody had a chance to participate. I know at my house, the thunder was rolling and the lightning was cracking, and we're just happy we stayed on the air, but what a wonderful, exciting time, and it was just so much fun to hear all the excitement and all the wonderful bidding. I believe tomorrow we'll get a, a, a official number of how we did, but I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who participated in the auction. And I wanted to remind us that we are being broadcast on the ACB Media Network, he, heard around the country and around the world. Uh, this Today's uh, session will be on our internet stream, ACB Media One mainstream. So please feel free to listen or if you're registered, you're here with a wonderful Zoom invitation. So we welcome everybody. Also want to mention that the Braille Forum raffle drawing will be tomorrow night after our banquet. There are only a few tickets left and once they're gone, we're not printing anymore. So please, if you want to get in on that raffle, don't miss the opportunity. The cost is $50. You can sign up as an individual person or you can split it with up to four of your closest friends a total of five of you can split that raffle ticket so uh, if you're interested at all please call our minneapolis office at 612-332-3242 again that's 612-332-3242 we also thank everybody who's joined the monthly monetary support program mms and what we want to encourage people to enroll for as little as $10 a month, you can show your support for the American Council of Blind and really make a difference in our programs. If you're interested in joining, you can call 202-743-0755. Again, that's 202-743-0755. And somebody will be standing by and get back with you almost instantaneously to help you learn you more, help you learn more about the MMS program. So thank you. Our email number is uh, email address is technically having some problems. So please call again at 202-743-0755. And remember, we're also having elections today. And so please have that voting code handy. Yesterday's election proved every vote counts. And so please get out there and vote, vote, vote. This is so exciting that we're all able to vote remotely and really show the democratic process that is the American Council of the Blind. 
And also, I wanted to just, it was in the promo, but wanted you all to know that we apologize for the ADP awards having to be moved later in the week, uh, but candidate selections were running a little long yesterday. And so the ADP awards presentations will take place tomorrow at Thursday's general session in the morning probably starting around 11 o'clock Eastern. So if you were interested in those ADP awards, they have not gone away. We'll get to enjoy those tomorrow. So now it's time for us. Oh, I have one more special announcement. So stay tuned. This is a special advocacy announcement. Following the roll call elections today, we are going to hear a special advocacy announcement from Clark Rackfall, our Ab Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs concerning the Olympics. So you want to stay tuned for that. I'll make that announcement one more time. It'll be following our affiliate roll call vote. So don't miss that. It's really important to all of us, and it's important to ACB and our membership. So stay tuned. Now I would like to present our pledge as a... I'd like to present our Pledge of Allegiance for today, and it's going to be done by our J.P. Morgan Chase Fellows. So Anthony, Natalie, Becky, Greg, and Winter, thank you for our Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, J.P. Morgan Chase winners, and I hope you're enjoying a wonderful convention. We're so glad to have you as new leaders inside of our organization. And now I would like to introduce Tony Stevens, ACB Development Director, for the presentation of our convention sponsors for 2021. Hi everyone, this is Tony Stevens, Director of Development for the American Council of the Blind. I'm excited to share with you today our corporate sponsors for the 60th Annual ACB National Conference and Convention. So here we go. For our diamond sponsors, Microsoft, Google, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, Comcast, and Facebook. For our Emerald sponsors, Charter Spectrum, Vespero, Amazon, Verizon, Vanda Pharmaceutical, and for our Ruby sponsors, TrackPhone Wireless Incorporated, Ira, Waymo, National Cable and Telecom Association, AT&T, LinkedIn, Perkins School for the Blind, Cruise, and Adobe. For our Onyx sponsors, Democracy Live and Humanware. For our Coral sponsors, National Industries for the Blind, National Library Services, and Library Users of America. And for our walk sponsors, Macular Degeneration Foundation. And for our walk sponsors, the Macular Degeneration Foundation, National Industries for the Blind, and Vanda Pharmaceutical. Thanks to all of our corporate partners for supporting this year's conference and convention. Thank you so much, Tony, for recognizing our wonderful sponsors for this year's convention. We just couldn't do it without them, and we thank them so much for all of their support. All right, uh, 
little bit of a wrinkle here, but but we want to make sure that all of our candidate speakers are here today before we start our candidate speeches. So I am going to ask uh, Denise Colley, our ACB secretary that was uh, uh, voted by acclamation on uh, Monday night or Monday afternoon to take a few minutes and give some remarks to the membership about her reelection for a second term as our ACB secretary. Denise? Thank you, Dan, and good morning, ACB. I just want to say to all of you a heartfelt uh, thank you for your confidence in me, um, your voting me in again to this office by unanimous acclamation. Um, serving on the ACB board and serving as your secretary has been a, a, an extreme honor and privilege. And I hope that in the next two years, I can do the organization proud as I work with the board to move forward on those initiatives that I talked with you about at the Canada's forums, especially related to transparency in communication. So once again, thank you. Thank you so much for electing me again. And I look forward to serving ACB in the best way that I can. Thank you. Thank you, Denise, and congratulations. We're gonna let, uh, Denise has to step out for a moment, even though she's our presiding officer for the day. She has to run down the virtual hallway and get ready for the affiliate roll call vote. So Denise is wearing two hats today. So thank you, Denise. Uh, just checking, do we have uh, our speakers before we move on? Jim is going to be on his way. I just reached out to him. He okay. was- Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, and so we will move on and hear from uh, a, another um, of our board members, Doug Powell from Falls Church, Virginia, who was elected to his second term on the ACB Board of Directors yesterday. So, Doug, we'd love to hear a few remarks from you, and congratulations. Thank you, Dan. Um, I heard from Alan Casey and Paul D'Addario, two of our political historians uh, as members, that um, they're starting to call me Landslide Doug uh, in honor of uh, Landslide Lyndon Johnson, who won a squeaker in Texas uh, way back in the day. Um, and I want to tell you that I, I appreciate and I needed and appreciated every pebble of that landslide. So thank you very, very much for your support. Uh, I promise to work hard for everyone, whether you voted for me or not. Um, I, I'll, I'll work as hard, if not harder, in my second term than I did in my first. And I, I want to reach out and tell you that I'm always interested in, in listening. And I will forward your concerns to the board or to the appropriate person within the organization, regardless of whether I agree with it or not. So please, 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 um, uh, you know, allow me to serve you by hearing your issues and concerns about the American Council of the Blind and see if we can come to some kind of um, uh, resolution that will move the organization forward. That's a promise. Thank you very much. Thank you, Doug, and congratulations. Look forward to working with you on the ACB Board of Directors for a second term. Congratulations again. 
I want to make a quick announcement before we move on with our candidates, and that is I just want to remind all of our ACB affiliate delegates that we will not be having, unfortunately, we are not going to have a corporate sponsor presentation for this convention for today's agenda. So we have a fairly quick turnaround. So all of those of you that are affiliate delegates, uh, please start heading over to the room uh, in a few minutes. That way we'll make sure everybody's there in a timely fashion uh, in order to be able to go through the roll call vote. So now I'm going to introduce uh, Kenneth Simeon from Beaumont, Texas, who has been elected for his first term on the ACB Board of Directors. Co congratulations, Kenneth, and welcome. Thank you, Dan. Good morning, everyone. Thank, I thank all of you for your support that you've given me throughout this process. And I am very grateful and honored to be able to serve in this capacity moving forward. I look forward to working with my fellow board members to make wise decisions on your behalf and on behalf of Americans who are blind or visually impaired. It's an honor to be here today. We've had a great convention. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, I want to communicate uh, often. Any concern you may have, I want to be a part of what's going on. I ask you to uh, communicate often. And I will say uh, that I will do my best to serve you all well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kenneth, and congratulations and welcome. Thank Next, you. Thank you. Uh, next, uh, I'd like to hear, we're going to hear from Donna Brown from Romney, West Virginia. Donna, even though she's been on the board for two years, was officially elected for her first term on the ACB Board of Directors because she was uh, going to just do the last year of a, of a term, but it ended up to two years for the because of the COVID. Uh, but Donna has been elected to her first term, and these terms will all be three years because we'll, this slate of uh, board of directors will be running again in 2024. So I'd now like to introduce Donna Brown from Romney, West Virginia. Donna. Well, thank you, Mr. President. And Hello, ACB family. Uh, I want to thank you for your support through this uh, candidacy process. Thank you for the wonderful questions and participation in the candidates forums. Uh, I will, as the other candidates said, I, I will certainly do my best to serve you uh, as best I can. Please as they all said, feel free to reach out to me. I will be as transparent in, in the ACB community as, as I can be. And my goal is to serve you in the best ways that I can. And I love to be working with members in any capacity that I can. Uh, one of my passions is membership. So have a wonderful rest of the convention. And again, thank you so much for your support. Congratulations, Donna. And while I've got you here, is that ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk still up and running strong? Oh, oh my gracious. It is not too late. We are somebody go to the website and get us over $81,000 before the end of general session. That'd be wonderful. So quickly, Mr. President, if I if I may, we have a contest. Uh, all walk teams, whoever, whichever walk team 
uh, raises the most money between Sunday night, last Sunday night, and August 31st, we'll receive a prize. So you could be maybe the 30th team right now, but you could still win a prize by, at August 31st by increasing your donation amount by the largest uh, amount. And we have some teams that are taking it a little seriously so far. So Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Well, thank you, Donna, and congratulations on being reelected to the ACB Board of Directors. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. I now believe we are in really good shape uh, to move forward with our candidates' election for today. This is for the fifth position on our ACB Board of Directors. Our two candidates are first coming out of the nominating committee is Chris Bell, retired attorney from Pittsburgh, North Carolina. And uh, running against Chris, nominated from the floor, is Connie Sims, retired medical massage practitioner and health advocate from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Because Connie has run for a board seat earlier in this um, annual business meeting and convention, she will be allowed to have one candidate speak for a total of one minute. But first, as we do, we will hear from the candidate that came out of nominating. So we will hear from uh, Chris Bell's two speakers, which are Jim Crott from Florida and Becky Davidson from North Carolina. And then Connie Sims will have Patrick Sheehan from Maryland speak for her for one minute. So for the um, speakers for Chris, you have a total of five minutes. Denise, our parliamentarian, will be our official election timekeeper. Jim Crott is identified as Chris's first speaker. Jim, do you want any time reminders as you make your remarks today? Uh, no, thank you, Dan. Uh, and I would like two and a half minutes. You'd like to? <clears throat> so do you want us to say when you're like, 10 seconds away from two and a half that's, or anything? That's perfect. Okay, so at 2.20, Denise, if you could please give a gentle reminder to Jim. Okay. And I now would like to recognize Jim Crott from the state of Florida to speak on behalf of Chris Bell. It's my pleasure to come to you today to ask for your support for the candidacy board seat of Chris Bell. I have known Chris Bell for many, many years as a brother member of the uh, American Association of Visually Impaired Attorneys. Uh, I knew him when he was young, like me, but I knew him when he was outgoing, gregarious, and full of vim and vinegar, like he still is. Uh, Chris has recently served as president of the North Carolina Council of the Blind, where he spearheaded, organized, and directed their successful voting lawsuit. I can tell you what an undaunting task that is, having done it myself. Uh, Chris brought his members to a very successful conclusion and outstanding uh, results. He's been a longtime advocate for the blind. He's multiply handicapped, so he's advocated for disabled people in general 
and the blind and visually impaired in particular. He served uh, serves on the advocacy committee with me. He has been aggressive. He has been creative. He's been hardworking, and he's been very giving. He's been very active in the area of accessible pedestrian signals. Most importantly, he's written both worked on writing both the ADA and its regulations during his stint uh, with the EEOC. He served two periods there. He's done a, a variety of other tasks. He worked as a partner in a law firm for eight years. He has also worked um, tire, tirelessly. He was a financial uh, broker and advisor for some time, so he has really varied experience, which he can bring to our board of directors, <clears throat> and I think will do a uh, phenomenal effort in directing the board in positive, fruitful directions. Uh, he has much to give. He's done that through his advocacy work, uh, both on the advocacy committee and with the state of North Carolina, and we need to give him a chance to represent us uh, on the national front. He's a <clears throat> graduate of the Antioch Law School in D.C. Uh, he worked in the poverty law um, and legal services areas uh, before getting into his other ventures. He, his experience is significantly varied, but but significantly well-rounded, and he will be a great asset to the Board of Directors of the American Council of the Blind. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. And Denise, what is our official time? 2.08. Two, 2.08 remaining? Yes. Okay. Thank, thank you very much. All right. Uh, next, uh, I would like to introduce Becky Davidson. Uh, from North Carolina. Becky, you have two minutes and eight seconds. Would you like any reminders? Yeah, maybe a, a 10 second reminder. Okay, with I'm 10 seconds sure to go? Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, thank you. I'd now like to introduce Becky Davidson to speak on behalf of Chris Bell. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, and it's really my privilege to get to do this. Um, I first got to know Chris when I was invited to join the Environmental Access Committee, of which he was chair at the time. And I have learned so much from Chris about regulations and the processes by which they're created and the impact they have on all of us, particularly in terms of pedestrian safety, but also in general. Not too long after Chris and Joe moved from Minnesota to Pittsburgh, North Carolina, and Ron and I moved to Charlotte, Chris asked me if I would consider taking over the chair of the Environmental Access Committee so he could run for president of the North Carolina Council of the Blind. I did agree, but I made him promise to remain on the Environmental Access Committee because I didn't want to do that without him. He did, of course. And as you heard, as president of the North Carolina Council of the Blind, he initiated ADA actions that ultimately allowed North, Carolina, North Carolinians to vote to request and submit our absentee ballots online, privately and independently. And that was really awesome. Totally blind and with additional disabilities, including deafness and some spatial and learning issues, Chris broke barriers, ultimately ending up 
completing law school and being part of a group of lawyers that wrote the ADA, which is pretty impressive. He also um, served as an, an attorney with the EEOC to develop ADA employment regulations. Most recently, Chris prepared ACB's comments for the manual on uh, uniform traffic control devices, quite a daunting task. Ten seconds. And he did an incredible job. Chris is passionate about ACB and its future and has lots of ideas about how to, to bring new leaders forward in ACB. Fine. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Thank you so much. And next, we are going to hear for the speaker for Connie Sims. And it is Pat Sheehan. Pat Sheehan, you have one minute. Would you like a time reminder? Uh, Dan, no, I think I'm okay. All right. Well, we, 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 will, we will allow you. Let me know when you're ready, and please go ahead and begin. I'm ready to go, Dan. Thank you very much. Thank you, ACB, for listening to me this morning. As I stated yesterday, Connie has done a lot, and I think she deserves it a seat on the board. In 2021, she's given you universal voting. As an advocate, she has been um, part of the health and wellness committee and in leadership, she has uh, received uh, the award from JP Morgan Chase fellows in 2021. We have lost two women uh, from the board of directors uh, this week. I think we need to uh, vote Connie in as an effective lady who is good at communication, effective leadership, uh, very good at um, getting things done and is a good communicator, very hardworking. <clears throat> she also brings low vision capabilities to the board and has role expertise. She will also be able to uh, represent the voting task force 2.0 on the board of the board. We need someone with that expertise to catch time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank yes. you, Patrick. All right. You have heard the speeches from our two candidates for the fifth position on the American Council of the Blind Board of Directors. Chris Bell from Pittsburgh, North Carolina, and Connie Sims from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now let's hear an election announcement. Thank you candidates and speakers for your wonderful presentations this morning. Next, I would like to introduce Nancy Marks Becker, our Chief Financial Officer, also playing the role as our ACB election supervisor for our elections throughout this convention. So Nancy, could you please share with us some information about the upcoming in-person voting and how folks should stay connected uh, through the vote now process. I sure can, Dan, thank you. So to vote for this election, you will need to go to the Vote Now website using the link you were provided or to vote by phone, call 844-875-0261 and have your unique voter code ready also. If you need administrative help, call the Minneapolis office at 
3242. The voting polls will close at 1.15 p.m. Eastern, 10.15 a.m. Pacific, and 7.15 a.m. Hawaiian time. You will be using the same unique voter code for elections all week because your ballot will be reset after each election has been completed. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. And voting is now open for the 2021 conference and convention. Good luck, everyone. Thank you, Nancy, and I want to just remind all of our affiliate delegates, please be heading over to the affiliate Zoom room to get ready for your roll call election. Uh, for those that are listening in the Minneapolis office, I just want to let you know, I recently heard that we are still waiting for the vote now uh, system to open for the election for this morning. So. Just making sure that we are online, if you could please check. And now, it is my honor uh, to introduce today our ACB Angels. Uh, again, this is, is really special to me. I knew each of these individuals. Uh, they're wonderful contributors to our organization. And today, we would like to honor First, uh, Kathy Brockman from Wisconsin, and then Bob Dillon, brother of Dan Dillon from Minnesota, and Don, Donnie Corley, brother of Beth Corley from Tennessee. The testimonies for today's angels will be read by Tony Stevens, Development Director from Baltimore, Maryland. So I'd now like to turn it over to Tony to hear testimony from Kathy, Bob, and Donnie. Want me to tell Tony now, or is it too late? And if I may, Dan, just an announcement yes. that Minneapolis says they'll be open in five minutes. Okay, so I don't the, know if we're on or not. So yes, we are, Janet. Thank okay. you. So Sorry so vote that. now. Uh, apologizes. We will be online for the individual candidates' votes in five minutes. We still have plenty of time today. Voting will be open until 1.15, so plenty of times to get your votes in for today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a minute uh, and uh, have Janet kind of review with everybody what we have to look forward to today at the convention uh, while we are uh, working uh, to get our angels' presentations ready for today. So. Uh, 
if you can, Janet, if you could please uh, share with us, uh, you know, what is, I know we've got a wonderful primetime show this evening and you lots know, of Dan wonderful loves, breakout Dan sessions. Dan loves to do this to me. He just throws these fun things out at me. <laughs> I do. And I believe that primetime no, show is on prime financials. It yeah. is. It's all, we have a panel of, I believe there's 12 people on this panel and they're talking about everything financial from getting your credit reports to banking online to how to do a spreadsheet for your finances. I mean, this is going to be an amazing session. And, you know, financial, knowing about your finances is important for everybody. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can have, you know, an extra $5 or you can have $5 million. You still need to be financial savvy. And there's so many ways nowadays to access and work with your finances online. And this session is going to tell us give us a lot of information on how to accomplish that. And I know it's going to be a good session with Jeff uh, Bishop and the, and the IAC on there getting things, um, getting things out for us. But also today at 2.30, the diabetics are doing their diabetics and advocacy, how to advocate for yourself as a diabetic. Uh, CCLVI has a session, I love this title, Family, That's What, that's what Friends Are For. And so that's, you know, all the camaraderie in CCLVI and how to work together. Uh, Lua and BRL will have a visit from our ACB talking book, um, our talking book narrator, who will be with us later on this morning uh, to address our group. And then he seems like he'll be really exciting to listen yes, to. I'm yes. really looking forward to that later on into the general session today, right after our break. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with him, and I downloaded a couple of books, and he's a tremendous reader. Mm. He does a lot of science fiction, I believe, Yeah, and a lot of other things. So, yeah, uh, guide dogs are having a session on help the future for um, driving, for about driverless cars. That's going to be a very compelling session. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, we have uh, Living to the Fullest with Diabetes at 4 p.m., BPI, their audio description program about uh, audio description and drag. Dra- I love their title, Dragging the Boys of Audio Description Behind the Curtain. <laughs> yep, that sounds t- fascinating. I, yes, I, I love it. Every, yes. t- every time I hear that, it makes me. BPI, they, that, that they affiliate have, is so creative, I tell they you. They are. Yes. I know. And then we have um, with our longtime ACB friend, Judy Dixon. Um, Meet the author about her new book on audio description and streaming. Our membership committee is putting on a session on how to create a successful virtual conference. Boy, that's sure timely because we're still doing a lot virtually, and that's going to give us some important information. Oh, and then there's a session which I need and should attend one of these years uh, by our own First Lady and auctioneer extra, Auction Chair Extraordinaire, Yoga with Leslie Spoon. And she'll get you all moving and fit and limber. Um, <laughs> she loves it. I got to I know you. she does. I, I, I need to go one of these days. She'll be shocked one day I'll show up. She'll be um, gentle, Janet. You should yeah. give it a try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I have time which is never. Um, ACB Lions is doing a lesson in leadership with um, the, I believe I don't have the description right in front of me, but it's the uh, 
national, I believe it's the first vice president of AC, of Lions International. So that's going to be a very great session on leadership. And then VPI has another one uh, behind the makeup, um, the art and history of drag. Um, and our audio description in the out of doors with all of our national parks and audio description, how all the projects that we are involved with for description in our national parks. And well, I think that's going to be wonderful. That's going to be co-moderated by JoLynn Bailey, Bailey Page, Page, our ADP coordinator, and Clark uh, Rackfall, our yep. uh, advocacy and governmental affairs director. That should be really good. That's, and then don't miss the DKM reception. Honoring that's going to be fantastic. Yep. And then a APH is having a session today. So Fan, fantastic. And then of course we have the financial freedom and I, I want to talk about, and we have a couple baby boomers trivia tonight. Mm -hmm. That's oh, my, yeah. that's right not, in my era. Mine I'm a baby too. Me too. Um, then we have a night of music and protest, how music and protest go hand in hand mm -hmm. and next gen has their evening social. Um, let's talk a little bit about our tours for today. We have our tour channel and um, today there's only one tour that's not pod that will not be available as a podcast. And I've checked out, I've gotten bits and pieces of this one and mm -hmm. it's the Walt Disney family museum. Oh, and it's man. really fun because it talks about the making of, you know, how, how Disney got started from steamboat Willie on and the segments that I caught one of them anyway, was about different, um, things at uh, Disney land and then now Disney world, but it's a small world after all. And the um, electric company. And I remember going to all these things as a kid. So that was kind of fun to see. Uh, 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 Janet, I'll, I'll give you one quick we, story and then we'll check back over yep. with Rick and see if, if, uh, if we don't have the angels right now, we can go ahead and do the affiliate roll call. But I have to tell you that as a, a young child, you know, I was, you know, as a teenager, I was stuck down, not stuck down here. I lived in Orlando and Disney Poor World baby, arrived. Stuck in Florida. Stuck in Orlando, yes. But, uh, you know, so what happened is that, you know, my family went to Disney the third day it was opened at Disney World. And, you know, you'd heard so much about the It's a Small World ride. Of course, they were still working the kinks out. So we went on It's a Small World. It was the first thing we did when we got to the park. And it got halfway through and stopped. <laughs> and we sat there for 45 minutes and heard the It's the a Small World song. So I have to tell you, I have no interest to go see the It's a Small World well, <laughs> attraction again. <laughs> when I was watching the tour, um, and they, as soon as they mentioned Small World, that song got stuck in my head and was in there for days. Oh, it is. It is <laughs> so, it's, it's so uh, contagious. You cannot is. get it. You cannot And get you it. can hear it all right. over the, I mean, for right. quite a ways in the park. Well, let um, us check with our technical yeah. supervisor and see if uh, we don't have the angel presentations at this time, if we are ready to move forward with the affiliate roll call. So if I could get um, uh, an acknowledgement. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Be, no. So Rick, are, we, are we good to move to the affiliate roll call? Vote? You got okay. it, Rick, right? Okay. Good. All right. Thank you. So we we are we will now um, 
move over to the affiliate roll call vote. Again, I want to let everybody know that uh, following the affiliate roll call, we will have a... Oh, we've got the angels. We so have we the, the okay. angels. All right. So let us go ahead and play our ACB angels for today. Again, three individuals that uh, had wonderful, uh, full lives, and ACB was a part of their their live experience. And those are Kathy Brockman from Wisconsin, uh, served on the MMS committee, just a wonderful individual, as well as Bob Dillon, brother of Dan Dillon, and Donnie Corley, brother of Beth Corley. So now I'd like to introduce Tony Stevens to share our angel testimonies for today. Kathy Brockman, November 30, 1947 to July 26, 2020. Presented by the Wisconsin Council of the Blind. Kathy was born in Plymouth, Massachusetts to Manuel and Marianne Miller Silva. She retired from the federal government after working 30 years for the Social Security Administration. She spent her adult life volunteering tirelessly for organizations that serve people who are blind and visually impaired. She received many awards and recognitions for her work including induction into the Milwaukee County Department of Aging and Senior Citizens Hall of Fame. Kathy loved to knit, read, and even bowl. She bowled for 45 years and was an active member of the American Blind Bowling Association, serving two years as its president. She was involved on local, state, and national organizations. Married to her husband Patrick for 32 years, she was loved by many throughout the ACB family. And will be missed. Robert Bob Dillon, born April 1944, died April 13, 2021. Dan Dillon, ACB board member, said this to say about his brother Bob. He has always been very supportive of me, no matter what I was involved with at the time. He was always very much mechanically inclined. Bob could take anything apart and put it back together. He could fix anything. Bob was very much aware of blindness issues and was a lion for many, many years. Whenever we would talk, we would try to solve all the problems of the world. He was well-read and always had interesting things to say. I chose Bob to be the best man at my two weddings because he, by far, was the best man I could think of. He was always willing to lend a helping hand and will be sorely missed. Donald Wayne Corley, December 4, 1949 to August 12, 2019 from the sister of Don, ACB member Beth Corley. In life, Don was full of mischief, fun, and laughter, as well as full of love, generosity, and heartfelt empathy for anyone who needed help, was downtrodden, or just needed joy and a smile. His wife and two children were given a legacy of goodwill to others and love for all. Donnie retired as an executive with the Sanford Burrow Corporation. As a brother, we were always very close, although throughout his life he loved to give me wet willies in my ear and nuggies on my head. He also gave me a kidney 32 years ago, which has provided for me a full and healthy life. I am so blessed to have had such a brother, and I have no doubt that if you ever had a chance to meet Don, you too would have felt greatly blessed.
Thank you so much, Tony, for those uh, wonderful testimonials. And I want to again uh, acknowledge Kathy, Bob, and Donnie for their participation and support of the American Council of the Blind. Again, real quickly, I want to make a special announcement that there will be an advocacy announcement associated with the Olympics that will come out uh, following our affiliate roll call vote today from our advocacy director, Clark Rackful, with the American Council of the Blind. So please stay tuned to this network after our affiliate voting for that special announcement. I now would like to turn over the affiliate roll call vote to Denise Colley, ACB Secretary from Lacey, Washington. Denise, take Not it. Not an switching. individual We're thing. Switching. Okay, Denise, you're on. All right, so we're ready for the roll call. Um, I am going to do this in this order. Um, Chris Bell and then Connie Sims. So if you could give me your numbers in that order, it would be really helpful. <clears throat> Alabama, three votes. Alabama. Arizona, two votes. Arizona Council of the Blind cast 1.5 votes for Bell, 0 0.5 votes for Sims. <clears throat> 1.5 Bell, 0.5 <clears throat> Sims. <clears throat> Excuse me. Denise, yes. Denise, Denise, this is Nancy. Can I back up to Alabama? I, I didn't catch yes. that one. I'm sorry. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Yes, Alabama cast three votes for Connie Sims. Three Sims. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I apologize. Arkansas, two votes. Arkansas cast two votes for Sims. Two votes, Sims. California, 22 votes. California. All right, I'll jump in for him. Can you hear me? Can you hear me there now? He is. Yes. <laughs> okay, sorry, my, my mute button wasn't unmuting. Um, sorry, California votes, uh, cast 14 votes for Chris Bell and eight votes for Connie Sims. 14 Bell, eight Sims. Colorado, one vote. Colorado. Connecticut, one vote. Connecticut cast 0.5 for Bell and 0.5 for Sims. 0.5 Bell, 0.5 Sims. Delaware, one vote. Delaware cast one vote for Chris Bell. One Bell. District of Columbia, one vote. District of Columbia Council of the Blind cast one vote for Sims. One Sims. Florida, 25 votes. Florida cast seven for Bell, 18 Sims. 
Devin Bell, 18 Sims. Georgia, five votes. Georgia casts 1.5 votes for Bell, 3.5 votes for Sims. 1.5 Bell, 3.5 Sims. Hawaii, three votes. Hawaii Association of the Blind casts three votes for Bell. Three Bell. Illinois, three votes. Illinois, 1.5 Bell, 1.5 Sims. 1.5 Bell, 1.5 Sims. Indiana, four votes. Two for Bell, two for Sims. Two Bell, two Sims. Iowa, three votes. One Bell, two Sims. One Bell, two Sims. Kansas, three votes. Kansas, three votes, Bell. Three Bell. Kentucky, eight votes. Oh, 18, no, 12, excuse me. <laughs> Kentucky, 12. Kentucky casts three votes for Bell, nine votes for Sims. Three Bell, nine Sims. Bluegrass, three votes. Bluegrass, three votes, Sims. Three Sims. Louisiana, three votes. Two Bell, one Sims. Two Bell, one Sims. Hey, ma'am. Maine, two votes. Maryland, three votes. Bell, point five. Sims, two point five. Point five Bell, two point five Sims. Bay State, eight votes. Massachusetts casts four votes. Bell, four votes. Sims. Four Bell, four Sims. Michigan, seven votes. Michigan casts two votes for Bell, five votes for Sims. Two Bell. Five Sims. Minnesota, three votes. Minnesota casts 2.5 Bell, 0.5 Sims. 2.5 Bell, 0.5 Sims. Mississippi, three votes. Mississippi casts three votes, Bell. Three Bell. Missouri, 22 votes. Missouri casts 22 votes for Connie Sims. 22 Sims. <clears throat> Nebraska, one vote. Nebraska, one vote, Bell. One Bell. Nevada, two votes. Nevada, one vote Bell, one vote Sims. One Bell, one Sims. New Jersey, two votes. 
New Jersey cat, two votes, bell. Two bell. New York, nine votes. New York cast seven, bell, two sims. Seven, bell, two sims. North Carolina, three votes. North Carolina, the great North State, three votes, President Bell. Three, Bell. North Dakota, 10 votes. North Dakota, cast 5.5 for Bell, 4.5 for uh, Sim. 5.5 Bell, 4.5 Sims. Ohio. Eight votes. Ohio cast two bell, six sims. Two bell, six sims. Oklahoma, 22 votes. Oklahoma cast 16.5 bell, 5.5 sims. 16.5 bell, 5.5 Sims. Oregon, five votes. Oregon cast five votes, Connie Sims. Five Sims. Pennsylvania, eight votes. Pennsylvania votes six for Chris Bell and two for Connie Sims. Kathy Long. Six Bell, two Sims. South Dakota, three votes. South Dakota casts are three votes for Connie Sims. Three Sims. Oops. Tennessee, five votes. Tennessee cast 2.5 Bell, 2.5 Sim. 2.5 Bell. 2.5 Sims. Texas, 12 votes. Texas cast 11 votes, Bell, 1 vote, Sims. 11 Bell, 1 Sims. Utah, 18 votes. Utah, 13.5 Bell, 4.5 Sims. Thirteen point five Bell, four point five Sims. Vermont, three votes. Vermont. Virginia, two votes. Virginia, two Bell. Two Bell. Washington, 17 votes. Washington votes nine, Bell, eight, Sims. Nine, Bell, eight, Sims. Mountain State, two votes. Mountain State casts two votes for Chris Bell. Two, Bell. Thank you. Wisconsin, one vote. Can you hear me? 
Yes. I can One hear you. vote Sims. One Sims. Thank you. Wyoming. One vote. <coughs> Wyoming. All right. So we'll move on to the special interest affiliates. Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. Three votes. 2.5 Bell, 0.5 Sims. 2.5 Bell, 0.5 Sims. Teachers, two votes. Teachers vote one for Bell, one vote for Sims. One Bell, one Sims. Attorneys, two votes. Attorneys, ACB Diabetics, three votes. Three votes, Sims. Three Sims. ACB Families, three votes. Families votes, two Bell, one Sims. Two Bell, one Sims. Government employees, one vote. Government employees. ACB Lions, four votes. ACB Lions, two votes Bell, two votes Sims. Two Bell, two Sims. ACB Next Generation, three votes. ACB Next Generation will cast 0.5 votes for Chris Bell, 2.5 votes for Connie Sims. 0.5 Bell, 2.5 Sims. Radio Amateurs, one vote. ACB Radio Amateurs cast one vote for Chris Bell. One bell. Students, two votes. Students. Bits, eight votes. Bits cast, 3.5 bell, 4.5 Connie Sims. 3.5 Bell, 4.5 Sims. Blind LGBT Pride, six votes. BPI cast two Chris Bell, four Connie Sims. Two Bell, four Sims. Thank you. Rail Revival League, nine votes. Rail Revival League cast five votes Bell, four votes Sims. Five Bell, four Sims. CCLVI, 10 votes. CCLVI, 3.5 Bell, 6.5 Sims.
3.5 bell. 6.5 sims. 6.5 sims. Friends in Arts, four votes. Friends in, friends in Arts votes, three bell, one sims. Three bell, one sims. Guide Dog Users, 15 votes. Guide Dog Users votes, eight votes for Chris Bell and seven votes for Connie Sims. Eight Bell, seven Sims. Ivy, two votes. Ivy cast two votes for Chris Bell. Two Bell. Lua, seven votes. 3.5 Bell, 3.5 Sims. Three point five Bell, three point five Sims. RSBA, thirteen votes. RSBA cast thirteen votes for Chris Bell. And uh, Kevin could not get unmuted, so can you do his governmental affairs from my phone? Yeah. Or, when, okay. Yeah, we'll call that one again. So have him be okay. thanks. Uh, thirteen Bell. Viva, one vote. Veterans, one vote. Sims. One Sims. Okay. Uh, Nancy, the ones okay. we did not get. Okay, so we have Colorado. Colorado, one vote. Colorado. Okay, one. Vermont. Vermont, three Sims. Get down to you, Vermont. You said three Sims? Yes, three Sims. Three Sims, thank you. Okay. Wyoming. Wyoming, one vote. Wyoming. Okay. Next is AAVIA, the attorneys. Attorneys. Two, two bell. Two bell. Thank you. And I government employees. One government, empo government employees. Point five Sims. Point five Bell. Point five Bell. Point five Sims. ACB students. ACB students. Two votes. Two votes for Sims. Two Sims. 
Denise, I believe we've That's called. everybody. Yes. Mr. Chair, that completes the call of the roll. I'm sorry, did we get Alabama? They got it. Oh, okay. Yes, we did. Okay, Thank sorry. You. Thank you. All right, welcome back. Welcome back from that uh, exciting roll call affiliate vote between Chris Bell and Connie Sims for our fifth position on the ACB Board of Directors. I now would like to take this opportunity while Denise is racing back through that virtual hallway to get back over to our general session for the remainder of her uh, role as our presenter today. I would like to introduce Clark Rackville, our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for a special advocacy report. Clark. Thank you so much, Dan, and hello again, uh, ACB. So it's come to the attention of ACB and many of our members that, um, sorry, this is, this is a little emotional for me. Um, being a, a Paralympian as well, but uh, Paralympic swimmer Rebecca Myers, uh, as reported in the news, has uh, had to withdraw from the from Team USA for the Paralympic Games. Uh, as reported in the news, this is due to her not receiving her reasonable accommodation requests. Um, I know this is something that impacts a lot of ACB members like it does me, especially the members of our sight and sound impaired committee, excuse me. Um, obviously we don't have all the answers to this situation. Uh, we've reached out to Becca Myers to offer her our support and learn more. And earlier today, ACB Executive Director Eric Bridges reached out to the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee, uh, expressing our alarm and concerns and letting them know that we require and our members demand more information into their policies and practices surrounding reasonable accommodations. This is an issue that uh, ACB is striving to do better in as well. Uh, on Friday, the ACB board updated and adopted a new uh, accommodations policy for all of our ACB events, whether those are in person, virtual, hybrid, or our electronic communications. And this is something that we'll do our best to implement uh, to meet the needs of all of our members and the broader community as well. Uh, also, we still plan to highlight the Olympic opening ceremonies on Friday. This is a celebration of all of those athletes that are representing Team USA and the great accessibility work and collaboration of our partners at uh, Comcast and NBC Universal that are making this happen. So as, as we learn more, we will share more information 
with our members. Um, and we, we still look forward to highlighting uh, Olympians and Paralympians from around the world this Friday as well. So Dan, thank you. Clark, how can our members help support this? Uh, should we be reaching out to our senators and representatives? Should we be reaching out to the Department of Justice? What is the best step for our members to advocate on behalf of a member of our community that is not receiving the reasonable accommodations they deserve? Sure. At, at this point, Dan, um, as we seek additional information, I, I'd recommend that all members uh, share the ACB letter. You should be seeing this uh, fairly shortly on the ACB website, social media, and shared over the ACB lists. Um, help get the word out that you know we are we are alarmed and very concerned by these by these policies, and we require more information. You know, share this with your elected officials, and share this with anyone who you think can help disseminate and raise the profile of this issue. Thank you, Clark. This is a moment where we need our community to come together not just reaching out to our public officials. Call your radio stations, call your newspapers, call your television stations. Say you are a member of the blind and visually impaired community, and this is unacceptable. This is a time for public awareness. There's not time for legislation here. It needs to be a groundswell of our community coming together and just letting everybody know that this is unacceptable. It is not right. Thank you, Clark. Thank you for that special report. And now I'm going to turn it back over. Uh, let me do one more quick reminder. Again, the election between Chris Bell and Connie Sims is still going on. The vote now ballot will be open until 1.15 today. So again, uh, please, uh, plenty of time still left to vote. So get your vote in, make your vote count, make your voice count. And now uh, I would like to introduce uh, Denise Colley from Lacey, Washington, our ACB secretary and today's presenter for our ACB conference and convention. Denise? Okay, Denise may still be scurrying back down the hallway here. I thought her, I thought her, I heard her come in, but maybe she hasn't made it yet. Uh, so uh, we, um, at this point in time, I believe I heard Kathy Martinez come in, the new president of uh, uh, Disability Rights. And so I would like uh, at this time, Kathy, if you're okay, I would like to introduce you uh, and welcome you to our American Council of Blind Conference and Convention. So Kathy, good to hear you, see you. Good to hear you, good to see you. Uh, well, actually, I, you know, we, I we can't see We both can't you. see, but you know, it's one of those <laughs> terms right. you just kind of use. So yeah, Love welcome, be, thank you. Yeah, thank <laughs> you so much, Dan. And um, well, I'm sorry, Denise, uh, I didn't mean to, to take your spot, but I guess these things happen when we're on Zoom. So everybody, thank you for, uh, I'd like to just thank the organizers and, and wish uh, 
ACB, a happy 60th birthday. You're almost as old as me. Um, so I, I, I guess we grew up in the same, I guess we're part of the same generation. Um, you know, it's really an honor to be uh, speaking for you guys. I have been a, a member of the blind community for a long time. For those of you who may know me, you're probably in the older generation of this organization. And I'm sure many of the young folks don't have a clue who I am. Um, but I have been around and um, a little bit about me. And then I want to talk about the work that DRA is doing and the work that we're doing with the American Council of the Blind. So I uh, was born blind quite a while back. Um, I was, uh, I, I'm part of a very large Latinx family. I have a blind sister who you all probably know, Peggy. Um, so Peggy and I were the two, or still are, the two middle kids of six. Um, I, I would say we were very lucky. We were, uh, had one of those sets of parents who really encouraged us, um, who expected things, uh, who had high, relatively high expectations, I would say, sometimes too high, <clears throat> excuse me. But um, you know, the fact that we were that we were raised in a very large family, I think really helped prepare us um, for adulthood. Um, she and I were also mainstreamed. And I think that's obviously a very different experience than somebody who went to a school for the blind. Um, as a, an, a, a person who you know, was coming to age in the 70s and 80s, I guess, I was very active in various movements before I got involved in the disability rights movement. Um, we lived near Strawberry Fields uh, in Southern California, and I was very taken by the situation that I would find or noticed um, farm workers in. I was got very involved in the, in the youth movement of the, U, the United Farm Workers. Um, then, of course, you know, uh, and so I, I was able to identify with the Latino side of me and, you know, learn a little bit of Spanish. Um, um, although my parents did speak Spanish, but we, we didn't really speak it as kids too much. So I actually had to learn it as a, as a teenager and young adult. Then, of course, the, the women's movement was, big, you know, was in full swing at that time. So while I really loved the work of the farm workers movement the, and the women's movement and the uh, LGBTQ movement, um, I didn't feel like I was completely included. I think they really didn't understand how to include a blind person. At that time, we didn't, really didn't have much. We had, we would, I would carry around my Perkins Brailler in my backpack because um, uh, I was a terrible Slayton stylus user. But um, I learned a lot from them. I learned about political organizing. I learned about, <clears throat> you know, how you really can't, there's no way, there's no such thing as an oppression hierarchy, right? Um, if you come from a marginalized group, um, you know, your oppression is just as valid as anybody else's. So um, it wasn't until um, really 1977 when I discovered the disability rights movement, I had no idea um, what, it, what that was. I didn't know there was such thing as disability pride um, in I was um, actually at the orientation center for the blind in Albany, California, when I got a flyer saying um, there's this demonstration um, to protect and defend our civil rights. I went to 
the uh, San Francisco Federal Building. I, ne I did not go inside because I didn't want to get kicked out of OCB. Um, although I have to say the staff was very supportive um, in kind of a down low kind of way, but they really were. Um, but I didn't want to get kicked out. I, I didn't want to put Al Jenkins in a bad spot. So, um, and he didn't want to be put in a bad spot. So, um, you know, I went, I, I discovered, wow, I mean, being at that, that 504 demonstration, uh, it hadn't turned into a sit-in yet, but it was heading in that direction. The thing that I found was there were so many different groups of people. There were folks from the Black Panthers, folks from uh, the, you know, the blind community, the deaf community. There was just this, this incredible cadre of, of people with a variety of disabilities. Um, and even the, the farm workers, uh, UFW, uh, you know, supported them. Um, the, uh, just lots of different groups. And I was like, wow, this is an amazing place, right? So um, moving quickly on, I, um, I've been involved in the disability rights movement ever since. I, um, obviously being a blind person, you know, I've been very involved um, with both organizations, ACB and NFB. And, um, and I guess I would say, you know, since I was an adult and I, I started working in the disability space, my focus has been economic justice and um, financial empowerment. Uh, I started um, my career at the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley, moving quickly to the World Institute on Disability, um, where I worked for 16 years and eventually became the executive director. Um, and really spent a lot of time out of the country. I, I, I was very interested, you know, in how other cultures dealt with disability and blindness in particular. Um, you know, so uh, the World Institute on Disability had an international division, uh, which I was involved with and ultimately led. And um, I, I was, you know, very taken with the idea that, um, that the world, not only the US, but, but other countries were taking the issue of disability rights seriously. So I spent a lot of time in other countries in the 90s. Um, in 2000s, I just, I don't know, something happened. I realized, gosh, you know, there's so many people in my community, in the Latino community, that are not, um, that are not, um, Oh dear, somebody is at my door. This is very uncomfortable. I don't know. I just don't know what to do. Um, um, is it um, an urgent situation where you need to take a minute? We can yeah, pause. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, that, I'm no problem, Kathy. Just pa we'll pause for one moment. Yeah, but we, we're, we're flexible at the American Council of the Blind. Well, this, this is great. This is Janet, because Dan was so on the spot, I didn't get a chance to jump in. And for anyone who is attending this code for continuing education purposes, the opening code for this segment was 88 or is 88541. So for continuing education and personal development, the opening code for Kathy Martinez's segment is 88541. Thank you, Sorry, Jen. guys. Sorry. Uh, we're, yeah, it was a neighbor that there was a bit of an emergency. Oh, well, welcome back. Um, but we're all good. So, uh, so 
you know, in, in the 2000s, I realized that like, wow, man, there's still so much work to do here. And I was very lucky um, that I was able to get some money from the Department of Education to lead a project called Proyecto Vision, which was really focusing on, you know, Latino, um, uh, the Latino disability community and, and jobs and, and employment. My, my passion has really been, like I said, around financial uh, economic justice, you know, how we, how we are, you know, people with disabilities that want to work, how can we work, people with disabilities that are able to work, um, you know, uh, so that has been really um, kind of the driving force um, in, in my work. Um, in 2009, I was nominated to, uh, by President Obama and confirmed by the Senate to be an Assistant Secretary of Labor for the Office of Disability Employment Policy. And that gave me the opportunity to, um, to really help put things in place, right? But we never do things alone. Um, and so it, I was able to, um, to launch a project called Add Us In, where we, um, where we, we brought the minority-owned businesses together and, and helped work with them to hire more people with disabilities. Um, you know, that, that relationship has, you know, lasted for like uh, probably 12 years. Um, and I know that a, a lot of the minority business organizations, you know, are still include disability in their, um, in, you know, in their recruiting. So I, I feel very proud of that. Um, also, that was in, in, in the time that I was um, Assistant Secretary, Section 503 got passed. And I, I cannot take credit for it. Um, we certainly, or my office certainly worked on it. But um, Pat Chu at Office of, office of uh, Federal Contract Compliance uh, Programs, you know, had a lot to do with it. And of course, you know, the White House had to agree to make it into or to, to, to establish the executive order. Um, so because of that, of that executive order, um, you know, I was kind of, you know, I was the spokesperson or one of them um, to, um, uh, you know, to talk to folks about actually getting jobs in uh, f uh, with federal contractors who, you know, had large, uh, large workforces. So, um, you know, the idea behind Section 503 is that, you know, the, the large contractors uh, are striving for a 7% utilization goal. And um, that can include people that they um, that currently exist in their employment or people that they hire. So, you know, after a year, about a year of, uh, or six months or to a year of, of talking about, you know, people should do this, people, we really need to see people go into corporate. Uh, I thought, well, you know, I should, what am I doing here? I, I should really, you know, kind of walk the walk, right? As a leader and, you know, to get out of the way at the Department of Labor so another leader could lead. Um, so I did. I. Um, you know, I decided I should move on and, and make room for somebody else. So we, um, I, I looked for a job for a while and was lucky enough to get recruited by Wells Fargo. Um, that was, I had been in the disability bubble 
since you know pretty much my whole working life, um, at least my whole paid working life. But uh, going to Wells Fargo was a lesson in, <laughs> it is sort of a, a reality check for folks that really are out there not in the disability bubble. Um, I, I would say that you know I was pretty lucky. Um, there were some bumps in my onboarding experience, but the will to get things right was there. Um, the, um, the, you know, the, just, just learning, folks had to learn. And I think we have to give people the opportunity to learn. Fortunately, there were other blind folks at, at the bank. Um, so I was able to, you know, ask questions, a lot of them. It was a learning curve like no other that I've ever had in my life. Not only did I have to learn how to survive, you know, outside the disability bubble. I had to learn how to be productive without, um, without a lot of help. And so that meant that I really had to up my game when it, come, when it came to technology. My sister happens to be a much better tech user than I am. Uh, so I think Peggy got sick of me calling her up and saying, how do you do this? How do you do that? I have to get this done really quick. Uh, she was very patient and kind, but, um, and then, of course, other folks in the bank were very helpful. Um, but it really forced me to learn how to use JAWS better. I'm not saying I'm perfect by no means, by any means, but I, I had to learn how to get stuff done on my own. Um, so at Wells Fargo, my job was to lead their disability and accessibility strategy, and I was there for six years. Um, when I left, um, there, there had been quite a bit of change. Um, I cannot say, I cannot emphasize enough that, um, that Wells Fargo was, uh, and is, I, I'm presuming, um, th there's amazing folks there. I mean, there's nothing that I could have, I mean, I could not have accomplished what we accomplished alone. Um, there was, you know, significant change around physical access, digital access, but I think the most important thing was the cultural change in the bank. Um, we created lots of opportunity for conversation. We created a community of practice of uh, recruiters and hiring managers so folks could ask questions without feeling afraid to, you know, say something politically incorrect or wrong. Um, we wanted to create a safe space, you know, so we could have these conversations. Um, we also we also had um, lots of, of kind of fireside chats and panels and, and, and a variety of discussions about different disabilities. I refuse to be the token disabled person. Um, I think it's a bad place for me. It, was a, it, it would be a bad place for whoever, or for the bank, right? So I was definitely, um, you know, definitely very insistent that we get a cadre of speakers representing a variety of disabilities, representing a variety of, of ethnicities, um, you know, just a, the broadest cadre of, of storytellers that we could get. Because I think when you have one person being the token blind person or the token disabled person, it, it's not only bad for the person, but it's bad for the company. So one of the things that I, I'm really proud of um, and was a total team effort uh, was, you know, the fact that we were able to have more open conversations about 
um, a variety of disabilities, including non-evident disabilities. Um, and that I think really did change the culture. Um, you know, it, it made people less fearful to come out at work. So when I left, um, the, the uh, percentage of people that, that uh, identified as having a disability was close to seven, I think it was around 6.5. Um, and that's a public figure. So I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, it was not, again, you know, it was, it was a group effort. There's, I, mean, I could never have done it. There, Wells Fargo has a, um, has a, a, a work population of, of a workforce of 250,000 people. So as you know, you can imagine it takes a, a village to make, uh, to make those types of changes. So um, it was time, I, I, I realized that there was very qualified and capable leaders to, um, you know, to take over the work. And again, it was time for me to move on. So since March, I have been leading Disability Rights Advocates, which is a high impact litigation uh, nonprofit law firm. Uh, and I have to say, I'm, I never expected to lead a group of brilliant non, or a brilliant, I never expected to lead a group of brilliant lawyers being a non-lawyer. Um, but I was, you know, when I, I saw the job announcement, I was very, um, I don't know, it, was, it, 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 it drew me. And I have, I will say, I have benefited from many of the cases that DRA has filed. So I will say it's really, I'm really proud to be a uh, part of this team that works to advance equal rights and opportunity for all people with disabilities, including those of us who are blind. We use the law as an instrument for social change, um, the goal being to weave disability, uh, and to weave access um, into all aspects of opportunity. Um, and I, I was used to say uh, at at ODEP, at the Office of Disability Employment Policy, we don't want to be on the special shelf or in a special office or uh, in a special school or separate. Um, and, and I think, you know, DRA, uh, it, it, over DRA's nearly 30 years, we've taken on more and more uh, cases that, you know, have essentially put the meat on the bones of disability, of, of the ADA, along with other amazing law firms. I mean, we're certainly not the only one, but we are, um, no, we, we've, DRA has done a lot of good work. So I've been, I've been at the helm for, for five months, um, and then DRA has been around for nearly 30 years, um, resulting in about 500 cases, um, you know, fighting for increased equity for people with disabilities, um, including uh, our partnership with ACB. Um, so one of the cases I'm really proud of is um, that we litigated a case which resulted in conditions um, uh, to, in, you know, to put in place COVID precautions uh, for people with disabilities and people with other uh, risk factors in the immigration and customs enforcement detention facilities. Um, so as a result, thousands of people were released from detention. And for those who, who remained in the detention centers, better care, treatment, and protocols are now in place. Um, 
Equally, as I said, I'm proud of all the work that we've done over the years with ACB and the State Councils of the Blind. Um, very recently, as you probably have heard, we won a, 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 a federal judge <clears throat> ordered the state of North Carolina to provide uh, absentee voting ballots for folks with visual impairments. Um, you know, more than 30 years after the, Ameri the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, you know, NC voters who are blind or visually impaired finally have access or will have access to a ballot, assuming nothing else happens. Um, we've, we're also working with ACB on APS or accessible pedestrian signal cases. Um, we currently have two cases um, to ensure that street crossings are more accessible in both Chicago and New York. Uh, and we've worked together on cases regarding audio description, uh, namely Netflix and Hulu. Um, so I know my time is probably up, but I just wanna say that, you know, it's an honor uh, to work with ACB. You guys have a lot of brilliant folks on, on your teams. And, you know, really the more we work together, the more we will succeed in achieving access and opportunity for everyone. Remember guys, leadership is a team sport. I think I'll end there. Thank you very much, Dan. Any, uh, anything else? Yes, Kathy. I, I thank you so much. That was really, it uh, was wonderful to hear kind of your life journey. So if you don't mind, I have a couple, are you okay for a couple of questions? Sure. Okay. So, it, you know, throughout your career, I think we're about the same age. So throughout your career, you served not only in non-for-profit, but in, you know, the agencies and, and under, you know, under uh, the Obama administration and then moved into the private sector, which is where I spent a lot of my career. And now you're back, you know, kind of in, in uh, you know, disability rights. So what did you see, you know, what, what were kind of your your challenges and your rewards. I mean, it just, you know, it's separate, different segments of employment. What did you, what did you take away as you, what kind of made that life journey? Wow. Well, so much. Um, one of, I mean, I've had so many amazing mentors and, and, you know, people that pushed me harder and, 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 and uh, yeah, I would say harder than I, I thought I, you know, that, I just think they pushed me harder than I ever thought I could be pushed. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say um, as a young person, one of the ex other experiences I had was I lived in Mexico. My partner and I adopted our son there. And, you know, I was so judgmental. I remember going to an ACB uh, conference in the 70s and mm -hmm. I, I saw, um, you know, people from other countries there um, and they were being guided around. And I thought, oh my God, what's wrong? You know, these guys, why don't they know how to use their canes? And you know, I was super judgmental until I lived in a developing country mm -hmm. where you yeah. have to be guided around. Right. There's just no way because you can't anticipate the barriers that you're going to find. Even, you know, walking to, you know, a few blocks, there's just not the same infrastructure that we have here, at least those of us in the city. Um, so that's what really inspired me to get involved in international work because, you know, I was, I just, I, I, I was so judgmental at that conference. And then I, when I moved to Mexico, I lived in Mexico, I realized, wow, now I really get it. 
And, you know, there's not the understanding um, of disability as a social um, construct, you know, it's, it, 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 it's changing. And that was in the, in the early 80s. So, you know, things have changed. Um, I think, you know, the takeaway is that things are getting better. We still, you know, live with stigma um, and, and people still have low expectations. But I think, I, but I, I feel that, that things are getting better. Um, you know, if, if, you're near, if you're as old as me, then we remember before the ADA when- Most well, certainly, um, yeah. When the accessibility factor was on us. It, it, it didn't, even, nobody thought that society should have a role in making itself accessible. Um, you know, so uh, just, you know, surviving in a, in a world that wasn't built, built for us um, wasn't, I mean, it's still going on. We're still, you know, surviving and, and we're still um, struggling. But I think um, now at least folks know that they have to make things accessible. I mean, in certain, mm -hmm. in certain spheres, that's true. Um, you know, for me, the, the, I've always been I'm, a, I'm just like, I love learning. So um, I have forced myself to get out of my comfort zone and other people have forced me to get out of my comfort zone. So I can't take full credit for it, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it, it, it was really hard. I mean, I was excited to work for Wells Fargo, um, but I was also like, I don't know anything about the financial services industry, nor have I ever worked in a place where people don't get the concept of, you know, disability and accommodations. Um, so when I went there, you know, I, wow, I, I was, I had to prove myself as, as a contributor to my team. But after I did, and after people got to know me, as you probably know, mm -hmm. um, you know, people, things calm down. And, and of course, I needed help. I needed to remind people that they had to provide me accessible documentation. Um, but eventually they got it. it. It became part of their DNA. Eventually it took yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't perfect, but I don't, you know, nothing is perfect. Anyway, I, I kind of did go on there. Yeah. I'll stop. Well, and I'll, I, I agree with you. It's kind of, you know, I, I worked for an international company, Siemens with, you know, 400,000 employees around yeah. the world and, and the expectations, uh, well, first just in private enterprise, I think, you know, the expectations are also always so low coming in as a disabled person, or as a blind person, that it, it, kind of a, kind of in a weird way, uh, it made it easy to perform well because it was easy to beat expectations, right? Because of what people thought you were capable of. But I used to well, always guess, have, yeah. How about you? Guess, Did you have that kind of same experience a little bit? Well, I was, um, well, I, in my life, I have. Yes, there are yeah. advantages to to low, you know, having low expectations. It's not a good thing, but I'm just saying right. it's a reality. Yeah, right. But I was. This is the thing um, that was different um, in in you know in both in, in situations. I mean, I like for example, at Wells Fargo, I was hired as a senior vice president. So there was an expectation that I would perform, mm -hmm. and I had to because you know in corporate, you know, it's a bottom line, right? It's yep. just, that's, to, especially at a bank. I mean, mm -hmm. although I do believe Wells Fargo is a bank with heart, it's still a bank. Yep. So um, uh, I was almost scared of the expectations that were put on me um, to perform. I mean, it, I was like, oh my God, they really expect me to do this. Mm -hmm. So I have to do it. I don't know how. 
So yeah, yeah, you're always was, learning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I am here. Okay, thank you, Denise. And so, and then the the other the other part of that, which I found really interesting, was you know you would go, you know, I know as a project manager, I went for the first time to a meeting, you know, across the pond, and you know, there I am, and you know, meeting all my German colleagues, and their really their expectation was or thoughts were what what in the world is this guy doing here, right? So so my personal challenge was. How do I perform at a level so in a month when we have our next meeting, they're they're wanting Dan Spoon to be at that meeting because I'm adding value. You know, you you have to prove that value. And I'm sure you've experienced that throughout your life. Well, it is true. Um, I mean, that's part of our, you know, our our system, right? If you you you've got to add value, whether you know I agree with that or not, I just I think it's true, especially if you're in a corporation. Yep. Um, they don't mess around. Um, and, you know, it, it ultimately is about the bottom line, even though, you know, I think some corporations um, used to say it's the right thing to do. But the thing that I, I, I guess I would say is that, that the goal for me and the goal for me, at, at, you know, in my life is to weave accessibility into systems, mm-hmm. not have special because yep. when budgets get tight, special disappears, right? So Correct. anything yes. separate or special and anything that's personality-based. So, you know, in some companies, when, when the, 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 the passionate uh, cheerleader uh, for disability leaves, the whole program falls apart. So the goal, I think, for us as a, as a disability community is to continue to work with other diverse groups um, you know, ethnic, uh, LGBT, LGBTQ, and I just want to give a shout out to the, to the blind pride folks. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, folks in the aging community where vision loss is prevalent, um, I, I think, you know, our, our, the next frontier is to really weave disability into the social justice movements um, and, 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 and see disability as not special. So see disability or accessibility as standard operating practice as part of a system so that when the, when the champion of disability leaves, it, the, the system doesn't fall apart. Right. Make it, make it part of the institutional knowledge. Hey, quick, one quick, quick, more quick question. I'll let you go, Kathy. And that is, I really enjoyed your, your comments related to the Latino community and the Hispanic community. And American Council of Blind is working very hard through our Multicultural Affairs uh, Committee to really strengthen our outreach. And so with your wonderful background and, and experience there, what is the best way for us to connect with the Latino community as we are growing now a special uh, subcommittee under our multicultural affairs to, to focus on Spanish language and outreach? Well, congratulations for that. Um, now I, I, I'm very proud of the disability uh, community um, for, you know, for especially in the last few years, um, you know, really making efforts to diversify. I think that's really critical. Um, if you think about it, you know, the, the Latino community actually has a higher incidence of, of, of disability um, yep. than, than a lot of other communities due to high injury jobs, due to bad health care, due to secondary conditions related to diabetes and hypertension. 
Um, which do uh, diabetes, you know, a lot of these, these secondary disabilities result in low vision or blindness. So yay for you. Um, I think, you know, the, the best thing you can do, uh, it's like when they ask me, how, what's the best training for hiring a person with a disability? The answer is hire a person with a disability. <laughs> yes. The, you know, the same goes for, you know, anybody that you want to, if you want to weave in to your culture, you've got to bring in Latinos. Um, Spanish speakers, um, um, you know, I, I just think that that's the answer. You, you've got to weave in the change that you want to see into, into your own staff. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that's really it, you know, because, and, and really me, we are not uh, a homogenous group. You know, Latinos have as many differing opinions, political stripes, uh, sexual orientation as any other group. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a complicated but amazing journey um, when we weave all types of difference into our uh, workforces. Well, thank you, Kathy. Thank you for your coming and, and sharing your story and, and conversation with us today. And congratulations on your, uh, your new next uh, opportunity in your career. We, I, we look forward to working with you very closely here over the next yeah, few Yeah, thank you for your partnership. ACB has been an amazing partner, uh, and we will definitely uh, be in touch. Dan, thanks so much. Thank you, Kathy. You bet. Bye-bye. And uh, Denise, uh, well, first, Janet, I think we have a closing code for. for I do have them. Oh, you got I have some. Oh, Denise, yeah, I, okay. I have some. I'll let right. you do that. Go ahead. Our closing code, Denise. So they already got the opening code? Yes, they did. Yes. All right. So your closing code is 71375. That's 71375. And if you have any additional questions for Kathy, you can send them to questions at acb.org and we will get them to her. Well, thank you, Denise. And now I would like to officially welcome uh, Denise Colley, our ACB secretary back uh, as our Wednesday presenter for the ACB conference and convention. So welcome, Denise. And I believe we're, all, we're taking it up next with CCLVI scholarship. So I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Dan. I just need to be three of me today. You know, that's just kind of how it goes. <laughs> yes, the um, next item on the agenda is some more scholarship presentations. And I just want to say that um, I've really missed doing this this year. I really want to give a big shout out to Rebecca Bridges for uh, taking the helm and moving the scholarship program forward in my absence while I was dealing with some health issues. So first of all, this morning, we are going to hear from David Trott, who's chair of the CCLVI scholarship uh, program to present um, their three recipients for their scholarships. And then we will hear from um, more members of the ACB scholarship committee to present to you some more of um, our amazing scholarship winners. And your opening code, CEU code for this presentation is 59146. That's for the CCLBI scholarship presentations, 59146. And the opening code for the ACB scholarship presentations is 66277. That's 66277. So let's now hear about more of our scholarship winners. 
we have three great winners that you'll hear from today, along with our our mentor and sponsor, Mr. Fred Schock. Uh It's a great opportunity. We've, we've been wanting to do this interview with Fred so that you could learn about what he's done for the CCI, uh, CCLVI scholarship and the lives of the people Fred's touched. Because each year he's given the scholarship committee the opportunity to meet so many wonderful people with so many great goals and skills. It's just unbelievable. So we're, we're so excited about the interview, but we'll get to that later. Uh, first, I want you to hear from my recipients. And first out of the box, a member of the CCLBI scholarship committee, Ms. Leslie Spoon, will introduce our freshmen. Okay. Thank you, David, so much for having me today. I want to say thank you to Angela Lanier and Ralph Smitherman for being on the selection committee. The CCLVI Freshman Scholarship Committee has chosen Carson McKeague as our winner this year. Carson lives in Geneseo, Illinois, where he graduated from Geneseo High School. He is a Honor Society student, was on the bowling team, and loved helping his other students with many activities. Carson works at his local grocery store where he is a devoted employee, never misses, never calls in sick. They must love him, I tell you. He is, Carson will be attending the University of Wisconsin, Platteville in the fall, studying mechanical engineering. Welcome, Carson. Okay, thank you. Tell us a little bit about your life journey and your educational goals. Well, ever since I have been young, I obviously started off with with like being the only one in my family legally blind. So it was chaotic for my entire family. And I managed to get lots of help and I luckily was able to succeed from it. And ever since then I've kinda wanted to go out of my way and have tried my best to help others in the way I got help. Wonderful. And will you be living on campus or will you be living at home when you start your college career? Uh, I will be living on campus. That's exciting. Have you picked out, have you picked out your dorm room already and taken anything over yet? Or is that, will that be further in the fall? Uh, That will be further in the fall, but mid-July, I will get to go look around campus again. I get actually into the dorm room since COVID has made it so that the college tools don't allow that. Oh, that's exciting. Have you picked out new things for your dorm room, like a new refrigerator or posters or anything Uh, like that? I've started on that. We got my desk lamp recently, so we'll get in there. That's exciting. Now, will you have some accessibility um, things that you'll take with you, like a computer or, a, uh, you know, a CCTV that we use with low vision, you know, with our low vision devices? Well, that's actually the reason why I chose uh, the college I'm going to, Platteville, because they had a lot of stuff in general for other students that have help, and even more so for me. So while I'm going to bring uh, an iPad and a MacBook for screen sharing, I'll also be able to have time and a half, uh, note reading, holding out. There's just so much that they have there for me already. Wow. That is exciting. And so so it's all free to you then, correct? 
Uh, yeah, all of those accessibility options are free, and the accessibility department was really kind and understanding when I went and talked to them. Wow, that is so exciting. And in mechanical engineering, what made you choose that field? Well, ever since I was young, I was always like constantly playing with Legos, Daniel toys, all sorts of things. And as I became more, as I became older, I was starting to play more with like video games where I could design and build things and programs where I could do that. So I just kind of was like, hey, if I want to do this and I want to help people, I can do some sort of engineering job. Wow, that is so cool. So are you going to go to more um, college? Are you going to get like a bachelor's, a um, master's? What What's your end goal of that? Uh, I'm going to go for a bachelor's degree. Okay, and do you have to go any further than that? Do you have to get a master's or anything? Uh, no, but like later down the line to in order to be more certified and, and I'm at will. So... Eventually, I will. Wow, that's so exciting. I am just so proud of you, and we are just so happy that you have won the Fred Scheigert Scholarship this year. And we look forward to seeing you in Omaha in 2022. Well, thank you for having me there. <laughs> I can't wait to be there. Oh, awesome. Thank you, Carson. You, you, good luck in your endeavors. Thank you so much. Good luck, Carson. We all excited for you and, uh, we think that you'll have a great career ahead of you, and we wish you all the luck in the world. And thank you, Leslie, not only for the interview, but for the great service you and your team give to the scholarship committee. At this time, I'm going to introduce Jim Girard, and he is going to talk to a gentleman who has made this all possible. Uh, I've admired this gentleman from afar for several years. He's made it possible for so many people to have scholarships and, and further their education and careers. And we're just so blessed to have you. So at this time to introduce uh, our, ben our benefactor, Mr. Brad Shiger, is Jim Girard. Uh, thank you, David. I appreciate the opportunity of being here and, and being able to talk to Fred very quickly. Um, just a personal note, uh, I've been a life member of CCLVI since 1990 and I know that, Fred, you've been funding the scholarship program at least since then. Do you, a couple of questions for you. Do you know how long, roughly, you've been funding the scholarship with your own um, uh, money, if you will? Uh, and what made you choose the amount that you chose? Oh, um, well, let's see. <clears throat> I know it's been a good number of years. Uh, uh, I don't remember exactly what the first year was. Uh, and as far as the amount, I, I guess I just went with what I felt I could afford at the time. And I just took with us since. Okay. Well, and it's obviously it's worked. It's helped a lot of a lot of uh, students over the years, and of course, I know I'm sure they appreciate the the generosity since you you do do contribute it from your own um, pocket, if you will. Uh, what <laughs> yeah. what 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 made you decide to start the scholarship program with, and and have CCLBI administer the funding? 
administer the the distribution of the funds? Was there well, something that motivated you, or what, what was the rationale behind it? Uh, well, my dad had always uh, contributed to a scholarship that's named for uh, the, the the widow of the the man that founded the company that he worked for, and, and I. Uh, uh, I felt that was a good thing, and uh, then one day uh, after a, a local meeting of the uh, uh, Washington area chapter of CCLVI, uh, 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 what's the name? Um, also. Uh, Jeez, I forget the name right off. But anyway, uh, uh, this lady was there, uh, asked me if I, if I would consider uh, funding a scholarship uh, uh, through the na national organization, and uh, I, I, I thought about it and decided it was a good thing. So, yeah. oh, Janet Morrison, that's who the lady. Okay, and so the guidelines that we use to determine the recipients, who they are, were, were those the guidelines that you outlined for CCLVI to to administer the program, or was that something you you said to the organization, pick the committee and pick the guidelines, and and I'll I'll sign off on it. How did those guidelines come about? Was that something that you? Uh, I think the guidelines were determined uh, by the, the committee with the approval of the board, if I remember right. So you didn't have any say-so or any input as to guidelines, criteria, travel oh, requirements I and all that? I suppose I, 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 I suppose I was a member of the committee at the time, so as, as such, I, I, I probably would have had input on the guidelines. Okay. All right. Well, like I say, for John, I know you've been doing this for a number of years, and and I've only been a member of the committee uh, since 2000, I believe, 14 or 15 when Lindsay was chair, and I somehow wow. assumed the responsibility of co-chair, and I, I can tell you that – and I'm not the one to get really – sappy or what have you but i the first time that i made the phone call and and leslie and i were on that freshman committee together and we picked that recipient yeah i i just i had a feel good all over feeling that that knowing that she was happy with the funding and it was going to make a difference in her life and i've never i've honestly even to this day i haven't felt as good as i did then when i made that initial phone call so i want to thank you for oh. For contributing, well, it's very nice that you did. Well, it is, and I guess say I want to thank you for contributing the the funds year after year, and and we hope that you know you continue to uh, to do so uh, down the road. So, oh yeah, again, yeah, yeah. Again, thanks for all you do, and David, I'll throw it back to you. Okay, Jim and Fred, I want to add my thanks along with the thanks of the people on the committee. Uh, we have we have a great committee, and for I, I'm just overwhelmed by the number of scholarships and the money that you give every year. 
it's truly a blessing to the people that are receiving it, but also for us on the committee, it's a true blessing. We get to meet these people every year, and I come away every year excited for these people and thinking, man, this would have been a great opportunity back in my day, but we still use horse and wagon back then. So. <laughs> but uh, we do thank you, and God bless you. We certainly appreciate you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Uh, at this time, to present the graduate-level Fred Shiger Scholarship is Brian Petrates. Hello, my name is Brian Petrates, and I am the chair of the CCLVI Graduate Scholarship Subcommittee. And I have the great honor and opportunity to invite and welcome our 2021 recipient, Matthew Turner. Matthew, congratulations. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. I was born in Boise, Idaho, and I'm currently going to school in Boston, Massachusetts at MIT. I did my undergrad there in computer science, and I'm actually continuing my studies uh, next year with a master's degree also in the same field. Wonderful. Uh, Matt, give me a, a, a little bit of an example of some of the projects. You have quite the major and quite the background, uh, a, a project that you worked on over the last year that kind of illustrates your background or your, your chosen field of study. Absolutely. Yeah, so this last year, I had the opportunity to work at BlackRock. I'm into uh, data science and how to kind of combine the fields of CS and economics in order to solve those sorts of problems. So last year, I got to work at BlackRock, where I created a model for them on investments so that they could predict how climate change is going to uh, affect the future investment returns so they could make better and more sustainable investment decisions. Wonderful. Well, you have had a, a great uh, college career up to this point, and, and it sounds like you're going to have an amazing graduate uh, experience. Um, on behalf of the entire uh, CCLVI uh, Scholarship Committee, we want to congratulate you and best of luck as you pursue your graduate degree. Thank you so much. And I'd also like to thank the ACB and CCLVI for being so generous and supporting me uh, with my education this year. And uh, <laughs> hopefully I'm not back for another one next year because I'll finally be graduated and done. And I look forward to hopefully supporting uh, the next generation of students through scholarships in the future. Thank you. Best of luck. Thanks. It's good to be back with you. Um, our next scholarship recipient is our undergraduate recipient. And to introduce her and talk a little bit about her is Kathy Farina. Three, two, one. Thank you. Thank you for having us here today. And uh, I am here to introduce Megan Downing, who is the undergraduate scholarship winner for the Fred Scheigert 2021 scholarship. Um, hi, Megan. Good to have you here. Three, two, one. 
Hi, I'm Megan Downing. Um, thank you so much for letting me be here today. I want to thank the CCLVI for giving me this scholarship and for Fred Scheigart. I really wouldn't be able to get educated at Berklee College of Music without this. Um, Berkeley is a really unique school and um, it actually provides great support for visually impaired and blind students. They have a whole blind program for us and it's really the only place in the world for the blind musician to be successful really. Um, and it's just like an honor to be able to receive these scholarships because again, I really wouldn't be able to accomplish my dreams and like help out in my community without this scholarship. So I'm glad to be here and thank you again. Okay, back okay. at you guys. Thanks. Dan will be back soon. Are they done? Rick just uh, gave you a cue. It's almost you guys, done. You, you guys are back. Okay, you're back, Denise. Thank you. All right, let me give you the closing uh, CEU code for this segment of the scholarship presentations. It is 39147. That's 39147. And now we're going to hear about some more of our ACB scholarship recipients. And let me give you the um, opening CEU code again for this segment. It is 66277. That's 66277. And let's hear from another member of the ACB Scholarship Committee. Hi, this is Lynn Powers. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. I am on the Business and County Subcommittee for the scholarship, uh, for ACB scholarships. I um, would like to congratulate our four winners and wish them well in their academic and business interests. They are Brielle Kerr, Chantel Zuzzi, Kevin Cohen, and Ryan Thomas. All the best and congrats to you guys. Hi, I'm Brielle. I'm a third year student at Fordham University in New York City, and I live in Connecticut. I'm graduating this August with a degree in marketing and consumer insights. And I'm returning to Fordham next year to pursue a master's degree in business analytics. I chose this um, pathway because I like both the quantitative and the qualitative sides of me. I'm both the drama geek in the theater till 9 p.m., but I also love calculus and coding and data. So I think getting both a degree in analytics and marketing gets to combine that storytelling element of me and um, the analytical numbers person. So I think it's a good mesh. I would say my proudest accomplishment is really following what I set out to do. Um, I wanted to move to New York City from a very young age because I am a lover of theater and the city and everything that happens and the life and culture of it. It's my favorite. So getting to go to college in New York City has been literally a dream come true and I can't wait to continue to live here, continue to find internships, meet people, network, see Broadway shows, and really just take a hold of my independence. Um, so yeah, I am so excited to be a city girl now and for many years to come.
Thank you so much for having me here today. My name is Chantal Zuzi, and I, I am originally from the Republic Democratic of Congo. Well, I am going to Wellesley College and will be majoring in um, international development uh, or international relations. I went to Bonkot High School. I'm just a graduate this year. I have been resettled in the United States in 2018. Um, I lived in a refugee camp for many years, for four years. Um, I fled my own country because of different conflicts. And uh, um, choosing this field will really help me because I want to work with the United Nations and help them to build an international peace. Because I do believe that if we all work together, we can um, get to achieve that goal. And that's why I chose to go for international relations or international development so that I can uh, this field will enable me to really achieve um, the goal of working with the United Nations. My greatest accomplishment, <laughs> I do have a lot of accomplishments, but just really graduating in high school and going into, I would love to take this opportunity to thank the ACB community for really giving me this opportunity for just getting the money and that will help me for my education. I really thank you so much. I, I, I wish I could have another word to really describe how you guys make me feel. I feel so special to have such an opportunity. College as a first generation in my entire family. My parents did not have such an opportunity to go to school. My mother, who was married at the age of 14, she always encouraged me to have an education. And now they are no longer alive. But I'm so proud of myself. And I'm sure that they are also proud of me where they are to accomplish just going to high school and now heading into college. That's such a big accomplishment in my life. I just want to thank the scholarship committee and ACB for uh, giving me a chance to speak. I really appreciate it. Uh, this upcoming year, I'm going to be uh, attending my second year at Binghamton University in upstate New York, uh, where I'll be continuing to pursue a double degree in economics and accounting on the pre-law track. And this year, I'm going to be attending my uh, second year at Binghamton University, uh, pursuing a double degree in economics and accounting on the pre-law track. So I've always been interested in economics and political issues and discussing, discussing solutions to large-scale problems. Uh, I'm studying economics to gain a more theoretical understanding of the economy, uh, while the accounting side of my field of study will provide me with a practical foundation in business that hopefully will help me succeed in law school. Uh, so uh, one, of, one of the accomplishments that I'm most proud of uh, is that in my first year of college, I was a member of the Source Project. Uh, which is an undergraduate research program. Uh, and in my research stream, I conducted scholarly research on the differing asylum policies between the Obama and Trump administration. Uh, at the end of the program, I had written a 20-page paper uh, titled Beyond the Rhetoric, Asylum Policy in the Obama and Trump Administration. And I'm pretty proud of that um, as it represents my political interests uh, and helped me expand my own research acumen. Hello, I'm Ryan Thomas. I live in Tucson, Arizona, 
and I work for Savvy Services for the Blind here. Um, I am going to the University of Arizona, which is in Tucson, and I'm studying, I'm doing a master's degree in accounting with a focus area in finance. And I went into that field of study because I got a job here at Savvy as an accountant, but my bachelor's degree is in economics. So I went back to brush up on accounting and my greatest accomplishment to date is that in a month or a month and a half or so, I'm being promoted to the chief financial officer here. Well, Denise, isn't that, first of all, in that you have a closing code, right? And then I have, and then a I have closing. some thoughts. Yeah. Yes, I do have a closing CEU code. It is 81547. That's 81547. And I got to tell you, these, mm -hmm. these, you know, this is just amazing to get to hear from these students. It just, you cannot help but feel a real sense of pride for what we in ACB are able to do to help these students. And I don't know about anybody else on the committee, but I know that every time I get to introduce a scholarship winner, it just makes me want to cry. And when we get to interview them, it's just really special. And uh, I, I'm feeling this year like it's especially special because um, we actually, for the first time since I've been involved with the committee, have a uh, former scholarship winner who's now on the committee. So became an ACB member and is now on the committee. So I think that's pretty cool. It is. And, you know, we've got to give a special shout out to AFB, the American Foundation Absolutely. for the Blind, for partnering with American Council of Blind. And now we have the opportunity to offer over $90,000 of scholarships into 21 different deserving candidates each year. It's just, it's just remarkable. And I was really struck, Denise, I don't know about you, but by the diversity of our winning scholarship winners. I mean, we have international students and we have deaf blind students and we have people with all kinds of different race and ethno, ethnicity backgrounds. It's just women, men. It's just exciting to see all the diversity uh, across the spectrum that we're offering and, for our students. Right? Yeah. And students attending schools all over the country. Really, in all kinds of levels and all kinds of different disciplines, you know, from social work to to the STEM programs. It's just people getting their secondary, you know, master's degree and graduate degrees. It is it it just makes you feel good, doesn't it? As and and it's gonna be exciting next year when, not if, but when we get to be back in person, that you'll actually get to meet some of these students that you've heard about for the last couple of years. Oh, and so can you imagine? Really cool. Yeah, with two straight virtual conventions, when we get back <laughs> together, we're going to have 60 scholarship winners to get to. Yeah. Isn't that going to be great? <laughs> wow. And, you know, and 15 J.P. Morgan Chase fellows and six first-timers, I think it's going to be, Janet's going to need extra hotel rooms just to get them all, all uh, uh, you know, safely, oh, uh, yeah. safe, have a safe place to stay there in Omaha. Absolutely. It's going to be. It's going to be just absolutely wonderful. Well, absolutely. this is this is fantastic. Before we go, uh, I do want to uh, remind everybody that vote now is still open for your individual vote. So you still have about a half hour. The polls close at one fifteen, and then we'll be back for election results at one thirty. But 
What do we got coming up now, Denise? Well, we are going to take a break until 1 p.m. Eastern time. And then, and then everybody, make sure you come back because if you don't, you're going to miss one of the highlights of our convention every year. And that is the presentation by our talking book narrator. It is so I just love getting to do Wednesdays because it's so much fun to get to meet these narrators and get to know them and get to hear from them. And this year, J.P. Linton is our talking book narrator. So you better make sure you're back here by 1 p.m. so that you can hear his remarks. Thanks. So I'll we will be break here. now till 1 p.m. <laughs>
Well, welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a good break. I hope you got to get something to drink and maybe something to eat and you got to stretch your legs. And now we're back for what I think is an exciting part of our convention every year. Of course, nobody wants to hear from the talking book narrator, right? No, I know that's not true. I'd get, uh, we'd have a mutiny if we didn't get to hear from our talking book narrators. Uh, but before I introduce him, I want to give you the opening CEU code for those of you who are needing it. It is 29687. That's 29687. Well, this year's Talking Book Narrator is one that I'm not real familiar with because I haven't read um, a lot of the books he reads, so I'm going to be really interested in hearing more about him. Um, our narrator this year is J.P. Linton, Master of the Spoken Word. He was formerly with Dewar, which was formerly Benefit Media, Inc., and now you're going to have to remind me again who you're with. <laughs> Index. Index Audio. Index Audio. Boy, he's told me that four times. That's all right. <laughs> um, and he is in Manhattan, New York, where he told me it's really raining really hard right now. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce J.P. Linton to talk to us about his experiences as a talking book narrator. Welcome, J.P. Thank you very, very much. Uh, uh, let me begin by uh, thanking the American Council of the Blind uh, Conference and Convention and the Library User of, of America for inviting me to speak at your event. It's an honor for me, and it's more than an honor, it's, it's a privilege. It has always been a privilege for me to narrate books for the National Library Service of the Library of Congress without question. And uh, of course, as you all probably know, most of, uh, most of the narrators uh, began as actors. And I have always been an actor. I've never stopped being an actor. And uh, that's how we got involved. And I thought it might be interesting uh, to talk a little about the process uh, that we used to go through. And I've been doing this for a number of decades now. I'm not gonna tell you quite how many, but it's, it's quite a few. And uh, back in the day, uh, the reason that uh, the title of this uh, little uh, talk I'm giving here is Master of the Spoken Word, that, those were words that were uh, applied to me by the first uh, studio manager of Talking Produ Productions in New York, who actually hired me. And uh, after working with me for a number of years, he gave me such a wonderful review that my wife thought my website should be entitled Master of the Spoken Word. And of course, to be even considered a master of the spoken word, again, is something that I well, I mean, I can't say for myself at all. It's just something that I've, I've always done and I've always made a living at uh, as an actor and, of course, as a narrator. Now, whether I'm not a master, I'm not so sure, but I do know something about words. So that's kind of the overall theme I'm going to talk about here in terms of what a narrator does and what an actor narrator does. Uh, an actor friend of mine, a Broadway actor here in New York, uh, said to me, JP, why don't you uh, audition 
for the Library of Congress to be a narrator. And of course, I hadn't heard anything about it. And he had been accepted, uh, a wonderful actor. He is still active. He's a very senior actor now. His name is John Horton. And you, many of your uh, listeners probably know John and his work. And he introduced me to uh, Tony Henderson at, at uh, Talking Book uh, Productions in New York. And my friend John Horton said, you know what, it's a gig between gigs. So every time you're, you know, you're, your play ends and you're looking for another job, you can go and possibly you will be assigned a book to narrate. Well, I thought it was wonderful. So I went and had my audition. And uh, it was more than an audition. Of course, we had to lay down five minutes of fiction, five minutes of nonfiction. And then, of course, we had an interview. Well, in the interview, I was asked, how many languages do you speak? Well, I had studied, you know, on a, even up in a university level, I'd studied French and I'd studied Latin. Well, that's very good, JP, excellent. Um, how many university degrees or college degrees do you have? And again, I was sort of taken aback. I mean, for gosh sakes, I'm an actor and that's what I do for a living. But no, I needed to answer that question. And I did. I, I uh, went to, uh, I have two university degrees, an undergraduate degree in theater arts and a graduate degree in dramatic arts. And that was very good. All right. So then, of course, we have to wait a few weeks and the results come back. And other friends of mine who were even senior actors to me in a sense of length of experience, they had worked uh, uh, at CBC Radio in Toronto long, long, many, many years. They had a lot of mic experience. I didn't have very much mic experience at that early stage of my career, but they did. They were not accepted, and I was astounded, but I was, and I was thrilled and happy and started recording. Back in the day when it was all real to real studio recording. And I think most of your listeners probably know what that is. That's, you know, one reel is <laughs> goes through the uh, recorder uh, to another reel winds up. And uh, that continued until about, I'd say about 10 or 12 years ago anyway, and everything switched to digital. And some of the engineers who were working in the studios at that particular point uh, couldn't handle this, the shift to digital and had to retire. Well, not only has that shifted from digital recording in studio now, uh, I think partly because of COVID, but also because this is the way the audio business is going, home studios are where uh, most are recording their audio books. And I've had my own home studio for many, many years I recorded for Audible and other commercial companies. And then just fairly recently, within the past six months, uh, the Library of Congress has accepted my studio. And so I record primarily now in my own home studio. I think one of the reasons that I was accepted as a narrator for the Library of Congress, besides my academic background and my actor experience background, was that I come from three Englishes. By that I mean I was born in Canada and I started my career in Canada on the stage primarily and then film and television. Uh, a 
great deal basically in Toronto. And but even before that, of course, I was born into uh, a very, very Victorian English home. My mother was uh, briefly married to my birth father at the end of World War II, but they split. And my mother came back from the United States and went to Canada where I was born, back to, of course, in those days, back to her parents' home. And my grandfather became my uber father. And my, if you, if you accept that German word for overall father. And my grandfather was a very, very highly educated, well-spoken military officer, educator, Victorian British gentleman. We would sit at the table, and I as a little boy, and we would be having conversations, of course, and uh, I would happen to say a particular word, and my grandfather would say, no, 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 it is not spoken that way at all. It is spoken this way. And he would repeat the word primarily with a Victorian British accent, and that was English to my grandfather, even though he had emigrated to Canada way before the First World War, to the point that he had educated my mother and her sister, my aunt, who spoke with English-accented English from the day they were born to the day they passed away. It was that, it was, what I'm trying to say, it was that impressed on us. But my mother said to my grandfather, no, he's not going to speak with an English accent he's going to speak with a Canadian accent. So there's English number two. And of course, I was a like every young boy, I grew up in the streets of Canada and I learned English from a Canadian perspective, of course, which is quite different in many, many ways, as is an English accent for English. It's quite different as well. So I come to the United States because my agent in Toronto at the time had said to me, after I developed a, an acting career of quite an extensive acting career, he said to me, I, I believe you should go to New York. You're talented enough. You, you can make a living as an actor in New York. I recommend you do that. So very short story later, short period later, uh, of course, I came to New York City. And of course, I am in the midst of American English. And by the time I get to uh, narrating books for talking books, of course, Library of Congress, it's all American English, not British English, not Canadian English, but American English. And I used to have spats with Tony, uh, my, my, uh, my uh, essentially my boss, the studio manager at Talking Books in New York. We'd have great discussions, if you will, uh, about uh, various interpretations. Let's just take one example. The word in the United States for that wonderful Italian food is pasta. Well, of course, in Canada, it's pasta. You drive a Nissan. You drive a Datsun. You don't drive a Datsun. You don't drive a Nissan. And you eat pasta in the United States. So, of course, I had to learn all that. And, you, you know, you, you're, you're brought up short, short very often. And you go, well, now, what is the American English word for that? Well, of course, I've lived in, in New York uh, City for many a decade now. And, of course, I recorded many hundreds of books. And, of course, I came to understand. 
uh, probably 99% of how American English is pronounced. So I uh, continue to do that, of course. And um, I think another reason that words for me became so wonderful. When I was in elementary school, uh, not uh, actually it was about junior high school, we were doing uh, reading out loud because you used to do those things then. Maybe they still do in school these days, I don't know. But we were reading Shakespeare out loud and we were reading Julius Caesar. And my teacher was so impressed with how I read the, wor the words that he offered me the part of Brutus in a production of Julius Caesar was doing. And of course I was hooked and I went on from there and that became my life, of course. And for an actor, words are everything. The interpretation of the word is everything. And that is what makes it so fantastic and fantastically interesting and inventive and creative. You have the writer who, of course, uh, dreams up and writes the words. And of course, the audience who hears the words spoken. And there's an actor in between that. And that is a very, very essential person, particularly in the theater or particularly listening to an audiobook. The actor is absolutely essential. And therefore, the actor's tone of the word, the inflection of the word, the syllabic emphasis of the word. Uh, you don't say um, uh, humdrum, things are humdrum, things are humdrum. The emphasis, of course, on the first syllable. But then, of course, with all of the tone, inflection, and syllabic emphasis, there is the interpretation of what that word and that group of words is and are. And it varies enormously. And if the actor, the narrator, has any intelligence at all, uh, he or she can give nuance, give an interpretation that the writer never even thought of to convey to that listener. And of course, the actor narrator is a live conduit from the writer to the listener. And that means very often, of course, we as narrators, we get books that uh, are not particularly well written, I have to, I, I have to say. Um, to, for me, the great classics still remain the great classics. And there is a very, very good reason as to why they are classic in the first place and why they remain classics today. And it is because there's never in, well, I don't want to say never, but 99% of the cases with wonderful writers of American English like Mark Twain and Herman Melville and Theodore Dreiser and Edith Wharton and on and on and on. Of course, I'm mentioning, mentioning 19th century American writers, but you'll never find a grammar mistake. So the interpretation becomes easy. You can read the material so easily and convey its meaning so easily because the grammar is so wonderful. And 99% of the time in those classics, there are no typos. So what an actor, but I can never say 
what book I'm going to get. We're, we don't choose our own books to narrate at all. We are cast as books. And I had the great fortune at the beginning to be cast for some reason. They seem to regard me as being able to interpret those 19th century classics. So the first book I was assigned to read as basically a youngish actor at that time was Edith Wharton's The Age of Innocence. And of course, I was absolutely, I was thrilled by it, just knocked out by it. And then I was assigned authors of the modern era, uh, such as of upscale American writing, Louis Auchincloss is, uh, comes to mind as an example. And I spent a lot of time um, reading uh, upscale American works. But then, of course, for some reason, they get, the, get in the head, well, this fellow JP, he might be fairly good reading detective novels. So I spent years, detective novel after detective novel after detective novel. And then for some reason, they thought I was fairly decent in terms of reading science fiction. So I spent years, and I still am assigned a lot of science fiction. But of course, as you get older and older as a narrator and more and more experienced, uh, you are regarded as someone, again, who can handle something that the Library of Congress calls abstruse or difficult works to read. And there used to be back in the day, this is where I'm talking mm, numbers of years ago, there used to be a contract that the Library of Congress handed out to the various centers that record books for the Library of Congress and the National Library Service called the abstruse contract. And nearly every year, of course, New York, I'm saying, of course, New York, because the talent pool was the largest, uh, was awarded the abstruse contract. So some of those abstruse books uh, began to be assigned to me. And uh, you got paid a little more, which was exciting for us and helpful for us, because the research process is much more extensive. I want to talk just a little bit about that. I hope I'm not, I, I feel as though I should open it up for questions at any point, but uh, maybe at the end, uh, I've got a little ways to go yet. I hope everyone doesn't mind that I'm uh, giving this background in terms of what I do and what I have done. However, I'm going to continue until someone tells fine. me, until someone tells me fine. to stop. <laughs> um, the Library of Congress is, of course, the Library of Congress. You cannot make any mistakes in pronunciation. You are like a, a walking dictionary, all right? You, you must pronounce the words correctly. So um, basically what that means is, is that for every hour of uh, recording takes at least an hour of research, particularly when you're doing nonfiction. Fiction, as well, there's no doubt, you're gonna come across words that do exist, that aren't uh, made up as in science fiction, and you're gonna to, going to have to find words that you've never seen before. And uh, that is something that we developed very strongly earlier on. Back in the day, before the internet, we used to have a talking books in New York City, there was what was called a proofing room, and there would be, you know, they would be, 
proofers who were hired to listen to the books and, and point out all the mistakes. But in the proofing room, you would sometimes be in your studio and you'd come across a word that you'd never seen before. You'd have to get up, go out of the studio, down to the proofing room, to the banks. Literally, there were banks, volumes of texts approved by the Library of Congress that were some of the following were the uh, Webster's Geographical Dictionary, Webster's Biographical Dictionary, the Lippincott Gazetteer for anything that was very obscure in the world, but you had to pronounce that obscure mountain in Kazakhstan in the proper pronunciation, of course. I also have in my possession, I inherited when, when it all began to uh, stop being uh, all book-based, uh, I inherited a great big volume of the Random House Dictionary that I still have in my library here dog-eared and uh, the back is, is splitting off. But of course, these books almost don't exist anymore because of course, it all went on to the internet. As a matter of fact, just looking at my notes here, I have a BBC production guide, a uh, pronunciation guide, excuse me. Uh, we call it the Beeb. Uh, when you went to uh, look up German words, we had a, a, a dictionary that the Germans call, uh, published by, called the Duden. And the Duden was a reference book that we had to go to. And of course, uh, uh, pour français, uh, for French, uh, the very famous La Russe. And all of these we had to go to and consult. Now, of course, it's all online. And it is, uh, the, there's a wonderful uh, website that one can go to called One Look Dictionary. And it'll pop up, you'll put a word in One Look Dictionary, and it'll pop up all the dictionaries that they have reference to online. Merriam-Webster, Random House, Collier's, Macmillan, Oxford, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. And of course, you have to look up the American English pronunciation, because very often the British English pronunciation is given. So, and YouTube, and there's a site called Googlish, Forvo, Google Translate, et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes, of course, in books that you will get, you will get a, a multitude, and these would be regarded as abstruse. Uh, you will get a lot of foreign languages, you get phrases. You might even get a paragraph in Russian, Hebrew, what have you. And very often books like that would be given to specific narrators who come from a, an, a Hebraic background, or they come from, we even had a reader years ago uh, at, in New York who could read Chinese. Was not Asian himself, but he could read and pronounce Chinese. So all of these uh, wonderful people that we used to sit in the green room and yak to that we don't have anymore, they were a bunch of wonderfully bright, good actors, narrators, and they were a bunch of, we used to call ourselves the bunch of bizarros because here we would say, uh, we'd wander around. I remember once calling the uh, French painter, I mispronounced his name in French, even though I've got a very strong French background. And one of the narrators popped and said, no, it's not Ang, it's, it's Ang, it's not Ang. <laughs> and so it was wonderful. We'd slap each other on the back and say, thank you very much, or maybe slap each other a little bit differently, but uh, that's, how it, that's how it was. And then of course, after all the time you finally recorded the book, what happens is 
that you get what are called, we used to call them corrections, but they're called pickups. And you get this, you know, we all go, ugh. But everybody gets them because you'll be reading along and racing along and you might skip a word or you might miss a few or insert different words. And of course, again, the Library of Congress, all words have to be properly there and every word the author wrote down must be properly there. I just want to give you a little example of a book I just completed called The Terroir. That's a French word in English. We'd anglicize it, call it terroir of whiskey. And it was a book about the, the uh, composition of soils and the different compositions of soils, uh, particularly uh, to do with uh, creating wonderful grains for whiskey. Well, of course, I'm just gonna go to page 40 on my pronunciation sheet. I'm holding it up right here. This is a pronunciation sheet and I do one for every, and every narrator worth his or her salt needs to have a pronunciation sheet, which you write down the word that you're having, you're, you're questioning, you get a pronunciation for it, you write the pronunciation, what is known as the International Phonetic Alphabet, and you give a source for it. So that when the proofer comes along and sees that word, he's not gonna challenge you because you've already got a source for that particular word. This is on page 40 in the Terroir of Whiskey, all right? A book about soils for grains to manufacture whiskey. Um, I'm just gonna give you some words here. Isoamyl, phenethyl, methionol, isovalorate, isobutyrate, butyrate, octanoate, hexanoate. All right, I'm just giving there's just eight, just an example. None of those words, even chemists themselves, if you go on YouTube, they will come across these words, even giving lectures, and you'll see a YouTube video of things. They will not, they'll come up to them and they'll stop because they don't know quite how to pronounce them. But we as actor narrators for the Library of Congress must know. So I'm almost finished um, in terms of what I intended to talk about. The last section I wanted to just talk about was the rewards for what I do are just, other than the few exemplary books, and I say few that I've read and enjoyed. As I say, I've done hundreds, and it used to be a rule of thumb for, of mine when I came across a book that I read that I thought was absolutely wonderful, I would buy it. Well, I hesitate to say how many books I have bought, I guess because my own standards are fairly high and my enjoyment quotient is also fairly high. Uh, it is like there used to be a wonderful theater critic in New York. His name was John Lahr. He was the famous actor, Bert Lahr's son. He wrote a wonderful book called, and he was, he was a critic in New York of New York theater. His book was called Astonish Me. And that's exactly my own, has been my mantra for decades. I need to be astonished by the book I read uh, in order to buy it. Anyway. So that is a plus. As I briefly mentioned about the green room, the other narrators I used to read with, that's a plus, but we're all at home now reading alone in our own studios. So that era has passed as well. The other reward is this, finally, the other reward is this. My girlfriend, a number of decades ago and I were on a train 
going to the east end of Long Island. And I was talking to her, of course, sitting in my seat. And as the train is going along, someone comes up to me, taps my shoulder and says, it was a sight challenged person and said, are you J.P. Linton? And I, I said, yes, 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 I am. They were thrilled. They said, I have read all of your books and they had recognized, he had recognized, or I don't remember if it was he or she, it's too many years ago now, but read all my books and I, I love your work very much. Well, my girlfriend sitting beside me thought I was a rock star. <laughs> so we ended up, she ended up marrying me and we've been together ever since. And uh, I don't think just because of that incident, but uh, she reminded me of it. And there have been very many times I'll be walking along the streets of Manhattan, not necessarily with my wife or my son or anybody else, walking along with a friend and having conversation. And I've actually had the same thing happen. People come up to say, are you J.P. Linton? And I would say, yes, I am. Oh, and they were just so thrilled. That reward for me meant everything. It continues to mean everything. Hearing from the people who have read the approximately 500 books I've recorded for the last, and I will tell you how many years, I've been doing this for 34 years. When I hear from people that they enjoy, and I do get emails, there's no doubt. Uh, they find out my email uh, and they say to me how much they enjoy my work. That is what makes what I do the most important reward. There you have it. Thank you. Thank you, JP, so much for that presentation. And we won't be taking questions right now, but if you have a burning question that you would like to ask JP, you can come back this afternoon at 2.30 to the library users and BRL joint session where you'll get to talk to JP more informally and he might even read something for you. You never know what, the, what happens in those sessions. They are really good. So just a reminder, at 2.30, JP will be back at the library users BRL session and um, you'll get to talk to him more informally. So thank you so much, JP, for your presentation. My it was pleasure. absolutely wonderful. And for those of you who need the CEU closing code, it is 49185. That's 49185. And with that, Mr. President, I will turn the podium back over to you. Well, thank you, JP, and thank you so much, Denise. What a wonderful day of presenting, and thank you for uh, being on roller skates and going back and forth between rooms. We really, really appreciate it, and thank you for being our presenting officer for the day, and enjoy the rest of your convention. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Very good. All right. Next. Next, hopefully, we have our Supervisor of Elections, uh, Nancy Marks-Becker. I am here. Thank you. All right. So we have Nancy is with us. Uh, so it is now time for us to announce uh, the winner of our fifth position for the ACB Board of Directors. The contest was between uh, Chris Bell from Pittsburgh, North Carolina, 
and Connie Sims from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So Nancy, if you could please share the results. So once again, we had a strong election. There were 995 votes. So the grand total was 523 votes for Chris Bell, which is 52.6%. Connie Sims had 469 votes or 47.1% of the votes and three individuals abstained. So the affiliate portion of the vote was 193 or 51.6% for Chris Bell, 181 or 48, 48.4% for Connie Sims. The individual portion was 330 or 53.1% for Chris Bell, 288 or 46.4% for Connie Sims. And I said before, there's three people or 0.5% that abstained from voting. Back to you, Dan. Thank you very much, Nancy, for those results. And uh, it, uh, I want to congratulate Chris Bell on be ele being elected to the fifth ACB Board of Directors position. And I want to also thank Connie Sims for an excellent race. We are now at the point where we have to continue our candidates uh, position roll call for the remainder of our uh, positions. We will, uh, as was announced yesterday, this was not uh, put into nomination uh, during our nominating committee, but with Katie Frederick taking the position as our Board of Publications Chair, uh, she has resigned her seat on the ACB Board of Directors. Katie had one year remaining on her second term, so we now must fill that open slot on the ACB Board of Directors with nominations from the floor and again, this will be a, unlike our three-year terms that were just completed for all of those five board members, we will now have as a, a election from the floor, special election for a board of directors position for a one-year term. So Nancy and I will be leaving uh, the general session room here and headed over to the election side of the house to do our roll call and nominations for the floor uh, for that next position. Uh, depending on how that position plays out, we would then move on down the slate through our Board of Publications positions. So with that said, I'm going to turn it over to David Trott, ACB Treasurer, and Janet Dickelman, ACB Convention Coordinator uh, and Convention Chair. Uh, to give us announcements and door prizes. So thank you, David and Janet. Thank you. Can you hear me first of all? Most certainly. Okay, yes. good. I, I was good. having problems with my headset as always. All right, thank you very much. And Rick, let us know when everybody gets back to the other, to the uh, down the hall and uh, then we can get started with our nominations. But David. Good morning or afternoon. Yes, it is. Oh, I do. I do. I know you do. Man, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I can't get my breath back from that auction last night. That was amazing, it, it, wasn't it? It was just, it, it truly was amazing. And we owe it all to you members out there 
who participated uh, not only with your money, but your time and the donations that everybody made. So again, uh, you'll find out tomorrow. Leslie will make her presentation tomorrow and let you know what we did. But let me just say that I think you're really going to be excited with the results. Now the walk, uh, the walk is still not where we want it to be, but it's doing great. It's doing great. We're, we're over $80,000, uh, close to 81,000. And, uh, Donna will talk more about that tomorrow, but I want to remind you just because you may have walked virtually or however you chose to do it, uh, you still have the opportunity to participate monetarily. Uh, you can have people donate to your teams. And like she said this morning, there's going to be a special prize for the people who raise the most between now and the end of the, the uh, event. So we're looking forward to that. And the Braille Form Raffle, we are rapidly running out of tickets. So uh, we're going we're gonna to give someone $5,000, $1,000, and $500 tomorrow night for raising money for the Braille Form. Help us have a sellout. We've never had a sellout in the history of the auction. Uh, I'm, my understanding, I think there's less than 100 tickets to go. So we, we really want to try and sell those out. It'll be great. Uh, if you fail to buy them, by tomorrow night, I'll have a special discount sale on Friday. You're welcome to attend that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got mine. And now let's see. 421 for 2021. If that doesn't mean anything to you, you haven't been paying attention. That is the MMS program's goal for this year. And let me tell you, we've been giving away $120 in gift cards a day. And you ladies are really showing out this year. Guys, y'all are not bending that wallet enough. Because for the third day in a row, we have a nice lady winner here. Uh, Kathy Jocelyn. Kathy Jocelyn is our winner of the $120 gift card today. And we will be giving away two more Thursday and Friday. And to add to or join MMS and help us reach our goal of 421 for 2021. You can email askacbmms at gmail.com. That's askacbmms at gmail.com. Or you can call 202-734. No, I got it backwards. I did that in my campaign thing, come, come to think about it. I'm bad with numbers. I'm the treasurer. That's that's the wrong kind of numbers. I'm good with money numbers. It's phone numbers I have trouble with. 202-743-0755. That's 202-743-0755. And help us meet our goal of 421 for 21, 2021. And David, I and, know there was uh, a little the issue with Ralph the Jesus. email for that. For the app, yeah, there so was. I and I, I, is it fixed I now? Do you know? Or? Uh, Tony, Tony was checking on that this morning, and I'm I'm assuming I haven't heard anything from Gene uh, since then, so I'm assuming it's working. If okay. not, uh, call. Be sure and call the number. Uh, we we are getting messages from the number, so uh, we don't want anybody left out. Remember, we're giving away hundred and twenty dollars. And gift on the gift card in the morning and again on Friday. So you have two more chances to win. And guys, limber them wallets up. Don't let ladies take them all this week. Ladies, take them up. Show them up. 
don't matter to me. Just let's get it done, folks. Let's get 421 for 2021. And with that being said, I know y'all are tired of hearing me, but remember, Never. anytime that you get a chance to see Janet and I together, at least one of us looks good, and I'm going to turn it over to her name. <laughs> uh, let's, before I go on and do any door prizes, let's check with Rick and see if we're ready over on the other side. Oh, speaking of door prizes, I hadn't okay. heard a trot. Well, okay, I can do them now or we can do them at the end, but I'll do a couple now and then we'll go on to, we'll go over to the other room. That makes sense. All right, got a couple. Oh, David, you wanted to say one quick thing? I did, all I said was I haven't heard trot. And you can do either trot. It doesn't matter. Oh, we're, I see. We're not competitive. Oh, well, I took them out of the list. No, I did not. <laughs> I have no control over the door prizes. And I've had people email me saying, pull my name. No, I can't do it. All right. We have, have a good day. Thank you. Thank you, David. We have Dana Leet from Clearwater, Pennsylvania, who won $25 donated by ACB of Minnesota. Our next door prize winner is Nancy Sumner. And she's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And she gets a Bath and Body gift certificate that was donated by Sheila Young, FCB president. I'll do another one here. Let's see. Oh, here we go. Lynn Coates from Carson, California. She gets a talking thermostat from talkingthermostats.com. Um, it is a talking thermostat. It's a model VT3000 with print and Braille and CD instructions. And also, a lot, and that is donated by Kim Charlson and the Bay State Council of the Blind. And along with that goes a uh, talking keychain. So those are our door prizes for today. Let's hand it back over to the other room to get some uh, election nominations going. Thank you. Editor's note, the final approximately 10 minutes of this convention general session were not available at the time of production. We apologize for any inconvenience.